0: Going to posting up the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, coming to you from Los Angeles, where I'm spending this week doing a lot of preseason reporting. But today, I'm going to give you the Northwest Division preview podcast. Going to have five guests on: uh, Chris Dempsey from Altitude Sports in Denver, Jerry Zagoda from the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Brett Dawson from the Oklahoman, Mike Richmond from the Oregonian, and Tony Jones from the Salt Lake Tribune to talk about in order the Nuggets, the Wolves, the Thunder. The Blazers and the Jazz should be a really interesting podcast. Five pretty interesting teams, I think, for v- different reasons. Um, you know, some on the way up, like the Nuggets and Wolves. Uh, the Thunder obviously bounced back big, uh, and then you've got uh, both Utah and Portland in kind of interesting spots. So, I think it's a fun listen. These guys all know what they're talking about. Should be a great, should be a great podcast. Think you'll enjoy it. Um, so, without wasting any more of your time, let's get to our conversation, starting with Chris Dempsey. All right, Chris. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Um, getting away from your TV duties for just a bit to give a poor mm-hmm. hack like me and Prince still some time. I appreciate it very <laughs> much. Um,
1: what, whatever I can do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you've got you've got a really interesting team uh, in Denver this year. Uh, a lot of people think they're going to take a big step. Um, Nikola Jokic is one of the more exciting young players in the league. Same for guys like Jamal Murray, Watcher Hernan Gomez, uh, Gary Harris. Uh, it's a it's a pretty interesting young core, but. Um, I think I think you'd probably agree that if this team is going to take the steps that people expect it to, it's going to have to do better defensively. Last year, Nuggets are 29th in defense in the league. Um, yeah. And and, you know, I know getting Paul Millsap was a big part of trying to improve that. Mike Malone, I know, as a defensive guy, was going crazy with the roster he had last year. But what do you think is a realistic goal I mean, obviously, everybody's going to say, yeah, we want to be the best defensive team in the league. I think we know what some of the athletes and the talent that the Nuggets have. That's not really realistic. So what do you think is a realistic goal for this team uh, for at the end of the year to say, hey, if we can get to this number defensively, we'll be in a pretty good place?
1: Yeah. So I think
0: that number
1: is... Uh, right about split right about halfway through the league. So maybe 15, 14, 13, right around there. And if I, I think if the Nuggets are playing uh, defense that puts them into the with the slightly upper half of the league. Uh, that would be, first of all, it'd be a vast improvement over, uh, what happened last year. And then part two to that is it would give them enough of a cushion to be able to really let that offense shine. I mean, th- they had one of the best offenses in all of the NBA, uh, last year, but if you're giving up as many points as you're scoring, obviously that, uh, math doesn't really work. Um, so, but I, I don't think the nuggets have to be, uh, you know, the San Antonio Spurs or, you know, in. in uh, you know in any, any really great defensive team to have um you know uh, to, to a make a jump and to b have that jump be significant uh, so i think if they can just maintain first of all maintain their status as one of the top Uh, three or four offensive basketball teams in the league, and then marry that with a defense that has moved them, um, as you pointed out, them from 29th, uh, right around 15, 14, 13. I think uh, that would make them a pretty formidable formidable basketball team, and I think that's a realistic jump for them.
0: Well, yeah, I was just looking at it now as you were talking, and and the team I think you would go into this year thinking they want to emulate from last year is Houston, right? Mm -hmm. So Houston Mm -hmm. was right around them in the same ballpark offensively. Defensively, the Rockets were 18th. And they right. had about a five-point differential. If the if the Nuggets could get somewhere in that 18 to 20 range even, like I think if I think you're right. If they get to the 13 to 15 range, then I think you're really talking about a team that could do some special things. But even if they just get in the, the 16 to 20 range and they can yeah. get that four or five-point differential, all of a sudden you're talking about a team that, that's probably going to be close to 50 wins. And if that's the case, they're going to comfortably be in the playoffs, even in the West, and, and have a chance to really, you know, if they do that, that, that really gets them to a place where they are kind of
1: maximizing what what I think a lot of people think they can do this season yeah no I agree with that and you know I, I think that starts with you mentioned Paul Millsap and certainly he's going to help um, defensively I mean his nickname is the anchorman right uh, of, uh, on defense and so he's going to help certainly uh, especially in some areas deflections um, just b- basically kind of some of these hustle areas that got away from the Nuggets uh, last season and then uh, you know they're just going to have to get better defensive seasons turned in by some guys that they really think are good defensive players Gary Harris, uh, Wilson Chandler, uh, those kinds of of players who have really put good defensive um they have good defensive resumes let's put it that way um but last year as a as a whole uh just didn't couldn't find a way to jail couldn't find a way uh to make it work uh, on on a nightly basis uh there so you know you y- you get a couple of guys like you-, you get a guy like Millsap. um you know a guy like mason Plumley actually came in at halfway and from the point that he was uh dealt to the nuggets uh right prior to the trade deadline to the end of the season he led the team in block shots Uh, right so so you know you if you can get kind of these all these pieces working in the right direction uh um, I, I think they can be certainly uh, competent on the defensive level. Let's put it that way. Um, and, and if that's going to be the case, then the, and then as you said, there will be a pretty formidable team to to have to face on a nightly basis. Yeah, their
0: their offense certainly is going to be a problem, and and a lot of that is because of Jokic, who who really blew up and had a great year last year. Obviously, he's also part of the defensive problems too, because he's he's yep. not exactly the greatest fit at that end. But what, what do you what do you think is the next step for him? in his development um, and into becoming, you know, a guy that clearly I think the Nuggets rightly think can be a, a foundational piece for them for a long time.
1: Yeah, so I just think that step is to continue to further prove that. You know, once you, you know, you, you, as, you as you know, you kind of get when you're a young player growing into a star, kind of goes in stages. Um, you know, that first year maybe nobody even knows that you're coming if you're, especially if you're a second round pick away. Uh, Nikola Jokic was, um, so you have a season that opens some eyes. Um, then the next season. People see you coming, um, but maybe they're not devoting all of their defensive resources to you, depending on what else is uh, happening around the court, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of the case uh, with Nikola Jokic because you still had Danilo Gallinari. You had another a, a, a guy around him that you kind of had to worry about as well. Uh, but then in that second half of last season, uh, we started to see the um, – the game plans really, the defensive game plans really hone in uh, on Jokic closing, closing his space down, getting real physical with him, um, you know, trying uh, obviously double teams and and whatnot uh, to get the ball out of his hands. And so he's going to see a full season of that now. And the question is, is can you then continue to produce at a very high level through all of those things on a nightly basis? Now, you know, I think the early returns of that are pretty good. Uh, You know, he's, he clearly especially in the second half of last season uh, was one of the most productive players, regardless of, of position in, in the league. Um, and now can he do that for an entire season? I think he can. Um, and, you know, if he is able to do that and uh, then, then the Nuggets are, will be, that, that is the guy that they would have been looking for for years now, when they're trying to look for a cornerstone piece of the star player to kind of build around and build off of um, it, it, the, it certainly looks like it's Nikola Jokic now. I think that's the next level for him is to, to uh, take the to, the best defenders, uh, defense is tilted toward him, um, and then continue to produce every single night.
0: And you would certainly think that the, the presence of a guy like Millsap next to him would 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 go a long way towards helping him improve in those areas too. I mean, having a guy you know, like you said, who's obviously been around the block for a while now, and and is going to be able to get you know gain respect at both ends, I think certainly mm-hmm. would help that help that transition pretty nicely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and a couple of reasons, right? So one, he's going to help Nikola Jokic just be, uh, figure out how to better navigate uh, his space on the defensive end. Uh, But then, you know, part two is, you know, Millsap can take some of these matchups that were a problem uh, for Nikola Jokic uh, last season uh, and, and, you know, they can kind of, you know, save Nicola, you know, kind of protect him a little bit that way uh, in that area. So I think from both of those two standpoints, uh, I, I think it's going to be a huge help to have Paul Millsap uh, sitting there right next to Jokic.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um,
1: it, the, the way, you know, Wacho Hernan Gomez and Jamal Murray
0: were two two lottery picks last year. Um, two guys that the you know the Nuggets are pretty high on both played really well uh in, in various stages of their other rookie years um what do you think the expectation is on both of those guys coming into year two you know as part of this this rising core with the Nuggets
1: well in the case of Jamal Murray he could very well be the uh starting point guard for the Nuggets the, uh, this season and you know you know the question is is you know, what kind of training camp is he going to have as compared to uh, Emmanuel Moutier and Jameer Nelson? Jameer Nelson started a lot of games for the Nuggets last season after Emmanuel Moutier got hurt. But uh, eventually, what happened was some nagging injuries got to Jameer Nelson as well. They put uh, Jamal Murray in as a starting point guard, and he played really well. And uh, so, you know, well enough that I think they want to definitely see more of that. And certainly, and that's a situation where he wants to play point guard. He came into the NBA saying, Hey, look, I'm not a two guard. I'm not just a shooter or scorer. Uh, I've played point guard my, for the majority of my basketball career. And uh, I want to reprise that role here in the NBA. And so he's all, uh, he's been on board uh, with that from the moment he stepped foot in Denver. So, you know, we'll see, you know, he played uh, a good bulk of, he played the majority of the season injured last year. And so um, a fully healthy uh, Jamal Murray, I think we're going to see a lot more explosiveness out of him and, um, I, I expect, I, I think I expect really, you know, significant play from him uh, this season. And, you know, I, I think he expects that out of himself as well. Just one of the hardest uh, workers on the basketball team uh, as well, in, in terms of Juancho Hernan Gomez, uh, he's rising up the charts. And, you know, I, I think what, you know, what, what we saw out of, um Wancho last year was uh you know this this guy who kind of just goes all out all the time and maybe needed a little bit of a refinement but you knew you could see the outlines of a very good basketball player can score it from um, you know the inside all the way out to the three point line, uh, runs the court uh, you know uh, really really well, uh, defensively obviously needs to improve on that end. Um, but that first year just kind of getting his feet wet in first of all in the country, <laughs> and, right, and then, right, you know, <laughs> you know, and then second of all you know in the NBA with the with the Denver Nuggets was 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 huge for him. You know he didn't spend a lot of time in. the the... the then D league um, as they thought he would just because he played so well. And then they had a a few injuries that required some depth that they needed at the forward spot. Um, But Wancho, I would expect would be a um, gaining minutes as a, a, as a, um, a reliable role player on this team, as he continues to kind of bounce between the small and power forward spots um, and, and, and continues to improve on the defensive level.
0: Yeah, no, he he's a pretty intriguing guy. If you anybody who watched Eurobasket saw him play uh, for mm-hmm. Spain, I mean, he's a guy that can shoot the three, can he can get inside, he can do a lot of stuff. And, you know, certainly with you know, you'd you'd probably expect Wilson Chandler to start next to Millsap, but yep. the fact that they can they can play one to either spot makes him, you know, a pretty a pretty nice piece for them to have coming off the bench.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and and rebounding is one of those things that uh, is, I think is a little underrated in this game, especially going to the offensive glass. One of the things that we, you know, it, not that you gain a ton from summer league, but uh, I, I, I can recall this um, last summer uh, after he got drafted and he played with the Nuggets on, on their summer league team. I think one of the things I was most impressed about was just the, the uh, kind of the ferocity with which he attacked the offensive glass. And, you know, that piece of his game allows him to be able to score without plays being run for him. Um, and, you know, it's, it's all hustle right now, but I just think it's, um, you know, from an energy effort standpoint, he is, he's pretty fantastic. And then I think defensively, as we saw in a couple of instances in, in the EuroBasket, I mean, he can come up with the big block shot, yep. uh, you know, so, um, you know, he's, he's, he's coming on. Uh, it, it, I'll be very interested to see how he continues to grow.
0: Yeah, no, me too. Um, you, you mentioned Gary Harris earlier. You know, he he's one of the more you know accomplished two guards in the league, at least for his age. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a guy that that is you know is considered a two way player. Um, is a, is a good three point shooter. You know, unlike some of these guys. You know, like Contavious Caldwell Pope this summer got a lot of interest. But you know, the thing people don't really realize is, is despite how good of his jump shot looks, he's never shot thirty five percent. You know, better than thirty five percent in a season in his career. Last year, uh, Gary Harris shot forty two percent, which is lights yeah. out. Um, really nice player. Uh, do you? What do you think the chances are that he um, that that he gets a uh, contract extension by the the deadline next month, or, or do you think it's more
1: likely that he gets to reach free agency next summer? uh you know i i think this i think the goal is to get them to if the goal is to get him a, a contract extension by by the deadline i think they will do it i, I think it'll come all the way down to the deadline <laughs> but, but right but I, but I do think this will get done and um so what do you, you know, think the range is Ooh, that's a better question <laughs> that's a better question um you know if i wouldn't be surprised to see on average 17 18 19 million something like that a year i wouldn't be surprised to see that right um uh, you know, he's played himself in a space where, into a space where, uh, you know, I, I think especially in today's NBA with the money that's being kind of tossed around in today's NBA uh, to where he can at least ask for that. And listen, we just watched uh, the Nuggets sign uh, Mason Plebley for an average of about 13 point, you know, a little bit over 13 million dollars per season. So there you go. <laughs> you know, right. Uh, uh, you know, so it's. Uh, I was going to say somewhere from 18
0: to 20, if if I think to get it, it might even get up to 80, but I could see, I could see four for
1: 80. yeah I I could I could too I I could too and and you know the 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 Nuggets understand this you know they they can kind of get uh a good number for them and and Gary Harris it's advantageous to them because obviously uh the next summer they have uh you know they can offer uh Nikola Jokic an extension that's going to be a max so um so yeah I I think they want to get this one done and behind them so they can kind of move on to 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 other players on the uh, on on the team as well but uh so yeah I, I do expect it I do expect it to come down to the you know, because this is something that they've been working on for a little while now, and uh, so you know, it's it's just taking a little bit of time, but I think they'll get it done.
0: Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're, I think you're probably right too that it gets done. And uh, th- you know, the other guy that's kind of been forgotten in this whole mix is Emmanuel Moutier, who a couple of years ago was, mm-hmm. you know, the seventh pick in the draft. Uh, you know, I really thought had a chance to to blow up in Denver, and it just really for whatever reason just hasn't quite clicked for him so far. Um, and not, now, obviously, you mentioned Jamal Murray you know, I, there's, there's been a lot of talk, including from you that he could potentially be the starting point guard for them. Um, which, you know, is obviously Moody's position. So, you know, mm-hmm. after a couple, you know, up and down years for him, what do you, what do you kind of see as, as his future, both in Denver and just in the league in
1: terms of where his development's at? So this is a big summer for him. Um, and my understanding is, is that he's, uh, really taking it, taking it as serious, uh, seriously as it is. And, um, Will report to training camp um, in the best shape of his career um, and have, you know, will have worked on some of the deficiencies in this game as well. Um, You know, I I think for, in terms of the Nuggets, they want him to succeed. I mean, I just, that's, he's still a guy they like. You're still talking about a six, five point card. I mean, he just has great size for uh, that position. And when you when you watch him night night in and night out, you can see the bones of a really good player. So he's got you're talking about really good vision on his passing. Um, he's he's got a, a decent feel, he's got a decent feel for the game. He puts himself in some situations where um, you know they, they result in turnovers and but there's nothing that he has done on the basketball court that isn't fixable and I, that's just from what i've seen in his first couple of seasons in the league that's always been my assessment of it. There, there's nothing that's just uh you know you have some players and you look at them and, and they and they go out and they try their best and you're just like no nope, that's just a skill set they don't have this guy doesn't have or th- this guy cannot um kind of right. grow in Doing, Emmanuel Murier doesn't have that issue. I mean, he's got. Uh, can he improve his jump shot? Of course, he can improve his jump shot. Can he? Uh, can you? And he did cut down on turnovers last season. Uh, you know, can you uh, – uh, don't jump and, 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 and get yourself in bad situations in the air where you have to um, uh, make a, a snap decision and the ball gets picked off. That's easy to to cut out of your game. And so when he starts cutting uh, some of that stuff out of his game, I think we'll start to see uh, what he can really look like. And, you know, what was interesting about last season with him was, uh, you know, at, you know, kind of after, after his injury was over and like, he wasn't getting much time, when he started to get minutes again – uh and he was a very focused individual and played the best basketball, some of the best basketball of his short career so so far. And um I, I just think for him it was huge to be able to finish the season on a high note, then to get into this summer to work uh the way he's uh the the way I understand he's been working, and then we'll just see what happens here in training camp in the preseason. But uh, the, the the Nuggets want him to succeed. They want him on their team, and if he, they can Uh, get him to develop into the the kind of player that they thought, then um, that's just exactly what their best case scenario is with with him.
0: Yeah, no, and like you said, I mean, clearly Murray has put himself in a position to at least fight for some minutes at point guard, if not get that starting job. So, you know, if there ever is a time for him to, for Moudier to really, you know, grab the bull by the horns and and get get things going, it's now, right? I mean, it's kind of or shut up time.
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, the point guard is really, an interesting uh, space with the Nuggets because um, you know also you, you know, listen uh, you, you have Jameer Nelson who is uh, very capable of continuing to run a basketball team, uh, especially with the Nuggets. You know the the thing about point guard with any of those three guys is that so much of the basketball runs through Nikola Jokic anyway, and you're going to have um, now that Paul Millsap's on, he's also a good passing uh, big, right? So you're talking about a lot. You know the the point guard isn't as is possession heavy, the usage rate on, on that kind of a uh, player in this system isn't as high as it would be in some other systems just because of how they uh, operate in the offensive end and how quickly uh, the point guard gets the ball out of his hands and into Nikola Jokic's hands or, or into the corner uh, with Gary Harris for a three-point shot. They just don't hang on to the ball for very long. So um, it'll be very interesting to see. Uh, I think they have three capable guys. Jameer always comes to camp ready to roll and um, and played pretty well for them last year too. So uh, that'll be probably the, 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 the biggest and best battle of camp.
0: Yeah, no, it should be it should be fun to watch. So, so Chris, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Before you go, though, just uh, let the people know uh, where they can follow you and, and what you got going on.
1: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, My Twitter handle is at Chris A. Dempsey. Um, You can see my stuff. Let's see. um, I I work for Altitude Sports. You can see me on television, uh, pregame, postgame, that that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I write also for Altitude Sports. um, um, So that's uh, www.altitude.tv and nuggets.com. There you go. Nice, uh, Nice quick summation there. (laughs)
0: I try my best. All right. Appreciate the time, man. And look forward to seeing you soon. All right, Jerry, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. A um, little different feel, I think, for the Wolves this season compared to, to most of the last decade or so. I mean, this is a team that hasn't uh, hasn't made the playoffs uh, without Kevin Garnett on the roster, and yet now they're projected to be, you know, a, a 50-win team and a, a team that, that could compete for a home court advantage in the, the West playoffs by virtually everybody, not just me, like last year. So how... Uh, uh, how is it? How is it going into a season where there's actual real expectations for these guys?
2: Well, there there actually has been expectations several you know past seasons, uh, thanks to you partially last year, but uh, <laughs> but uh, none of it looking back I guess were justifiable until maybe now. You know now they've done a little bit what Utah did a, a year ago. You know they had these good young core players, and they Utah went out and they added three veterans, and the Wolves have gone out and done the same. You know adding. Butler and Teague and Taj Gibson and Jamal Crawford. And, um, you know, they're going to still sign a couple more uh, here before they start camp, I think. So uh, they have certainly changed the the complexion of this roster. I mean, no matter how talented guys are, whether, you know, whether it's Wiggins or Carl Towns, you can't win with guys who are 21 and 22 or 20 in this league. And, uh, you know, now they got they got a decent mix of guys from 37 to you know early 30s 32 to you know butler's only about to turn 28 and uh um then you then you got that young core uh, minus of course zach Levine, who they traded away but uh, you've got uh, towns who's only 21 and wiggins just uh 22 so um uh We'll see. You think one of these years that the corner the corner gets turned, and uh, hopefully it's uh, this year. With you know, I'm not I'm not ready to predict you know 50 victories and a third seed, but this should be somewhere I would think in the mid 40s.
0: Yeah. So let let's let's change up the order a little bit. So since we started on this, how how realistic are these projections? I mean, I mean, I I think I saw that the ESPN whatever ESPN's BPI, whatever this this nonsense is that they do, uh, they're they're projected I think to finish third or fourth, and I think fourth in the West um have like 52 wins i think a lot of people think they're going to win right around 50 i think their over under is 48 um so it sounds like you're maybe a little bearish on that compared to compared to a lot of people thinking maybe they'll be somewhere like 45 to 48 instead of maybe 49 to 52
2: well it all depends if you believe in the curse (laughs) <laughs> and uh t- t- timberwolves fans around here have gotten accustomed to
0: understandably we, so this is a team with, that seems with, to with have, have a, it seems to have a better point differential than record every single year uh it's pretty crazy especially that one year when when kevin love was there when i, I think they were at a point differential of a 48 or 49 win team and they won 38 i mean sure. you just never see
2: well it'll be interesting to see and it all depends upon you know how much time it takes them i mean it's uh you ask, uh Tom Thibodeau, about you know how is this going to work? You've had these two guys who are the future of the franchise, you know, in Towns and Wiggins three when you had Levine here of, you know, this was their team and all of a sudden you bring in the new alpha dog and, uh, uh, you know, you ask Tibbs, is this going to work in terms of what's the pecking order? How's it, how's it all going to be distributed? And he just kind of shrugs his shoulders and says it's going to work if they want to win. So, uh, <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> asking people to, to sacrifice and it, and it depends, you know, how long that takes them to figure it out, how long it takes Towns and Wiggins to to figure out that the way they play defense isn't going to be tolerated anymore with these veterans on them and with, with Tibbs on. You know, Tibbs has got guys now from uh, from he, who he's comfortable with and who know him from from his Bulls days, and he's got veterans, and uh, so it's certainly going to be a, a different mix there. When you got Taj Gibson next to Towns and and uh, you know Butler next to, to Wiggins, and see how much of that uh, defensive overall intensity, particularly defensive intensity, um, uh, how much of that. Uh, rubs off, but I don't think it's going to happen, you know, right away. So it could, it could take a little while. Who knows, you know, maybe I'm I'm wrong and they go out and win 55. Right. Now, if, if you're talking 52 territory in the fifties, if, if, they would have just for argument's sake, you know, I traded Wiggins and a deal for uh, Kyrie Irving, I would have been, I would, I would have been ready to get on that boat. But, uh, um, I still think it's going to take them a little while. And, uh, I still think it's going to take a little while for, for Townsend Wiggins to, you know, they're 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 certainly uh, super talented, but uh, for them to to figure out what it takes to play at that level on but, both ends of the floor,
0: right? And and let's let's get let's get to Wiggins. I mean, he he's been a guy that's been in the news a lot this summer. I mean, he uh, you know he he was rumored to be potentially a piece that they would consider moving for a guy, like Kyrie Irving, and they didn't move him um now there's you know been a lot of talk about him you know essentially iron out a max deal you know Glenn Taylor said a couple times it's going to happen i know he told somebody up there it's going to happen again this week um we're recording this right before training camp starts so maybe it'll be done uh by the time this comes out but um do you assuming that deal gets done as i think most expected to uh do you think that's a smart move for Minnesota to make right now
2: well when you're talking you know, when you're talking you know does a player deserve a max deal i don't know anybody but a handful maybe who really do deserve uh, uh deserve that but you're talking the nba and uh you know even even though the market changed a little bit this summer compared to a year ago you know that's the the price of milk and that's the going rate and that's uh that was sort of their master plan i mean if you look how this thing is structured they traded for butler they gave up a a piece of the future levine which i'm I'm fine with because you couldn't technically i guess you could afford to pay all three of those guys the max even if you know if that's what levine pushed for but you can't afford to do that with three guys who are unproven, who you don't know what you're you're getting completely in the future. Uh, now you got Butler. If, if you if you pay him, uh, Max, in a couple of years, you know exactly what you've got. You've got an all star um, type player. But say that doesn't work out, you know, and the, the Teague experiment or the Gibson, except for Teague, who I think is a three year deal. Everybody else is signed for two or one years, but you'll still have Wiggins in the next year when we get around to this time. Towns. I'll sign him to a the five-year max extension. So you still got. If worse comes to worst, and this whole thing blows up in two years, you still got those two core pieces. If you're trading Wiggins for for Irving, you're you, you're you're putting everything in you know the one proverbial basket. You're, you're hopeful that's all going to happen in two years. Maybe if Kyrie had three years left on his deal, maybe they would have thought harder and and d- done that deal. But uh I think that was the plan. Sign uh, sign Wiggins now. sign so, sign Towns now. I mean, Wiggins for all his flaws, that you, you want him to play with the same intensity he plays every night, like when he plays Cleveland, the team that traded him, or <laughs> right. when, when, you know, when he really gets fired up, but how many guys have, you know, by the age of 22 has has increased the scoring average, uh, you know, four points each of, each of the last two years, I think, and he's one of those guys, there's not many guys in the league that you can give the ball to at the end of games and and say, go create your own shot or, or create something for other, I mean, uh, now maybe they have that with, with Butler too, so... Uh, um, he's 22. You hope he figures out the defense. You hope he learns how to play harder. You hope the money doesn't, you know, get him too comfortable. But, uh, um, I think that was their plan all along and they decided to stick with it.
0: Well, the, the fascinating thing about Wiggins is that when he came in the league and you know, this better anybody haven't covered him the whole time. He was a guy that was expected to be awesome in the floor game, right? Guy who was going to play really good defense was going to, you know, do other things on the court, but people weren't sure if he was going to be assertive enough as a scorer. And ironically, it's been the opposite. He's become a guy that, like you said, has become a, you know, an isolation scorer and a guy that wants to get his own shot and, and is good at it. And um, the, the rest of it has not really come around in the same way. Uh, it makes it, it it's been really interesting to see that development kind of work out that way to where he's excelled at the things he was supposed to struggle at and struggled at the things he was supposed to excel at.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, it, uh, when he came in the league at the time, you know, flips Hunter said he was a guy who had the potential to be, you know, a really good wing defender. But there aren't many guys who come in the league and do that. You know, Kaiwi, Kaiwi, Kai, uh, Kai, uh, Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard being an, being an exception, but you know, not many guys come in and, and figure it out right away. And uh, um, it was sort of, you know, still three years into this now, it's still a little bit the same knock he had at Kansas. You just don't know if he's because you see what he can be, you just don't know if he can reach that level all the time, if he can learn to play, if he wants to be great. That's the big question. And uh, we're going to find that out now, particularly since uh, the financial incentive is going to be removed and he's going to have all that money, whether he wants greatness and whether he can get himself to play more, you know, the way you see maybe every third or fourth night or every other night and be able to see it it, uh, every night.
0: No, that that's definitely, that's definitely true. And it'll, it'll be, you know, like you said, that's kind of a, if he, if he does that stuff, then his, his game changes to a degree. And if it doesn't, you know, I think he's kind of destined to become the next, he could be the next version of Rudy Gay for kind of the, the next generation of players, a guy that players look at and think this guy is awesome and, uh you know, can get his own shot anywhere. is incredibly athletic, but just for whatever reason never was able to quite put it all together to where it seemed like he was a, a big contributor to winning basketball. And that's, you Know that's that's kind of what he's got to decide. You know, I think especially this year, how how that path is going to go.
2: Well, him and Towns may not like it, but you know, they were sort of given the keys of the franchise and uh, without the understanding of what it takes to win at this level, you know, right? It's like, yeah, they've got all this promise now, now you know, there's going to be some butt kicked here with uh, with Butler in there and with Gibson in there, with, and you know, even a guy like uh. Uh, Crawford, who isn't, you know, what you'd call a two-way player, but a guy who's been around <laughs> right. the, the, the wars. And, you know, they finally got guys now with Teague and Butler and Gibson, guys who've been in the playoffs and know what it takes to win. And, you know, now you got another option at the end of the games, a stone-cold killer and in uh, in, um, in Butler for a team that, you know, had all these double-digit leads last year and couldn't keep them. So um, there was there's certainly, if you looked at the point disparity through first halves and three quarters you could tell this team had talent but there was they just couldn't hold on to it the other team knew that they were better than them and Got serious about it, and uh, you know now you're going to get a you're going to get a different uh, a, a different look and a different mentality just because of how they changed the makeup of the roster. Yeah, and I want to get to those guys in a second, but since you mentioned
0: Towns a couple times, you know he's a guy with really unlimited potential, and you know while you say most guys aren't deserving of a max, he already looks like a guy that is, even though he's two years into his career. But um, the one thing that was disappointing about him last year was his defense just really took a step back. It felt like, and is that something I'm sure? I mean, given Tibbs is as you know as focused on defense as anybody's focused on anything in the world i'm sure that'll be something you'll be harping on all the time but do you do you expect uh a different level of effort and 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 accomplishment from that end on town or on that end from towns this season
2: I think it's going to take a while. I think he's still really infatuated with all his offensive skills, and I think it's going to take some uh, some leaning on by guys like Gibson and guys like Butler to, 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 for him to get there. I don't, I don't know how willingly. If, I don't think it's going to come instantly. I think it's going to take a while. I think it's going to take a while for both him and Wiggins. I just think you know, there's they were so used to kind of being the guys that I think it's going to take a little bit for that message to get pounded in their heads. I think eventually it will. I think there's, you know, I think those guys will will uh, will bend them towards it, but. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to happen right away. That's why, you know, I'm I'm thinking probably mid 40s in terms of your projecting victories. I just don't see them making the huge leap because I think the first couple of months it's going to take them a while.
0: Yeah, and and that and that really was I, I think when you look at what what Tibbs and, and Scott Layden, the GM, did this summer, it really did feel like. The goal was to get as many vets in the room as possible. I mean, not only do you get Jimmy Butler, a guy Tiggins is very familiar with, you go get Taj Gibson, a guy he's incredibly familiar with. You you swap out Jeff Teague uh, to get a first round pick and to get Rubio, or to to move on from Rubio, but also get a first round pick back. Um, You know, you mentioned Jamal Crawford. It did seem like uh, the focus was to try to get a lot of guys, a lot of old heads who, who know both what Tibbs wants and what winning basketball is to to kind of show Wiggins and town specifically. All right, here's the right way to play, and and
2: what you need to do to be successful. Well, Tibbs isn't calling it that, but it's what you uh, the, the old the old line of uh, it's changing the culture. I mean, that's what they've that's what they've attempted to do. I mean, it's all these years with not uh, making the uh, uh, the playoffs, and you knew it was coming because I still remember last season they won 31 games. Last night of the year, they in Houston. And uh, after the game, they got beat again. And Tibbs is sitting there, standing there glumly in that dimly lit uh, hallway <laughs> that you know well at yeah. uh, Toyota Center. Yeah. And uh, he was just saying, you know, he's saying it's been 13 years since this team made the playoffs. And he turned and walked into the locker room. As he walked away, he goes, I'm sick of it after one. So you, you knew you knew changes were going to come that he... Uh, you know, give them credit. Last year they didn't. They had, they had the chance to make some moves, and he took the year to evaluate and see what he thought they needed. And then they went out and they were bold, and they did. You know, they they did the draft night trade with Butler, and then they were They were very active. You might say they overpaid in uh in free agency but when you're in minnesota you probably got to do that a little bit well they uh, only
0: gave short deals out
2: too i mean they didn't give out
0: four or five-year deals i mean they gave teague i think it was two with a third-year option and and gibson just two years so it's not like they went out and gave those guys you know four-year contracts or anything i mean they all they all kind of line up with butler's contract which i I thought was pretty savvy management on their
2: part yeah they didn't they didn't go and give luel dang 72 million dollars right right they
0: didn't you know um they they didn't do that uh, so yeah, I think, um, I, 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 thought it was a pretty good summer. I mean, I think the one thing, the one thing I think people would question is, is whether Gibson is a great fit. Um, given that maybe you want to have more spacing and more in a more modern offense, but you know, I mean, like you said, towns did not really show the defensive, uh, capability. A lot of people thought, including me last year. And I think if you're going to have anybody show him the ropes, I, I like Todd Gibson, who who knows everything that Tibbs is going to want to do. I, I think it makes a lot of sense to
2: bring him in. Yeah, and the three-point shooting, I mean, they didn't really go out. They didn't go out and get, you know, they they were in the hunt a bit for J.J. Redick. They, they looked at guys like that, didn't get him, And I think he hopes this just, they improve organically, you know, that uh, – Wiggins gets better at it. Towns is already a pretty good threat. Uh, I don't know if you want him out there chucking eight or ten a night, but certainly a, a, a big man who you know plays and shoots like a, a guard. Um, and then you hope you know that uh, Butler can contribute some. And even I think you'll see more from a guy like Gorgie Zhang, who uh, shot a couple last year. And uh, if you watched him in uh, Afro AfroBasket, showed he could shoot a little bit. So I think they're gonna, you know, I think they're gonna ask everybody to help a little bit more to maybe make up for the fact that uh, even if one of these last two signings they're probably gonna do here before. For camp opens isn't you know a dead eye shooter. I think they're hoping you know the, the one thing that sort of has gone under the radar is that uh, after offering him tens of millions last fall and uh, him turning it down, they got Shabazz Muhammad coming back for uh, a veteran minimum, hoping that he can you know impress this year and then finally get that big contract that he turned down he last fall when they thought the market you know when everybody thought the market was going in 2017 it was going to be like it was in 2016 and then. All these players found out it wasn't. Uh, but he can he can shoot the three a little. I mean he's not a uh, great three point shooter, but you hope that you know here and there you 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 get better at it and enough to at least try to keep up in the arms race.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a, a sneaky great move for them, um, getting him back at a minimum deal. You don't see a lot a lot of times when a guy has that situation happened, you know, when Chabasi became unrestricted, you usually see him go sign for the minimum somewhere else because it's hard to come back to the same team um, at a minimum deal after that. But I thought, you know, especially given some of the holes in Minnesota's bench at this point, I-, I thought that was a great move to get him locked up for, you know, for the minimum for next season as a guy who at the very minimum can come off the bench and, and place the small ball four and get him some buckets.
2: Yeah, it surprised me just from the fact that I was thinking, you know, a guy like that would, would come to work every day thinking, geez, I could be I could be playing for $10 million a year instead of what I'm playing for now, but I think he's thinking, you know, that if he plays well and presses, then the Wolves can pay him, um, uh, more and he can still get a better deal. If uh, I think that's what, I think that was the thinking for him to come back here. So we'll see if it, if it works out that way. Yeah. We'll be, will be really interesting. Um, you know, you talked
0: We've talked about it a few times, and uh, you know, Jimmy Butler obviously was the uh, the big move of the summer. You know, going to getting him on draft night for uh, for Chris Dunn and, and Zach Levine and uh, and the and Lowry Markin. And um, you know, that was that was really the big swing uh, move the Wolves made. They kind of pushed their chips in with him. Um, beyond the obvious, you know, bringing in a guy that's familiar with Tibbs and 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 kind of being a mentor for. Uh, for Wiggins in particular on the wing what what does his addition uh do for the Wolves both both just from a on-court style thing and 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 from a perception thing too that this is a franchise that went out and got you know a consensus all-nba player to 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 be part of their team
2: well a couple things one I think the the real practical thing is um it should take a lot of the pressure off Wiggins and give him more room to operate. Cause you think, uh, you know, the other team is going to have to put their best wing defender on Butler now instead of Wiggins. And, uh, you know, that could be a, a huge difference for him or at least, you know, force him to go back and forth between the two. So I think that's going to help there. And I think it gives him a guy who, you know, is, a is, a strong will and, uh, you know, at the end of games, one, has experience and two, isn't willing to, or, you know, isn't afraid to, to have the ball and to, to make the big player, make a big shot. And I think that's going to make a, a big difference and it gives them, you know, a, a, as talented as Wiggins and Towns are, I don't think either one of those you consider an alpha kind of uh, in, in the locker room and on the floor, and um, certainly not Wiggins. I think he's maybe perfect in that kind of third spot role, just given his personality, but uh, it gives him some fire and uh, gives him someone, basically, who embodies their coach. You know, yeah, I think you also get that with uh, with uh, Gibson, but you you get someone who, you know, I don't know if anybody did last year, I didn't really see it, but, uh, um, you know, who kind of would turn and look to see when Tibbs would yell from start to finish, no matter if it was a two-point game or a A thirty-point game, but someone who buys into that kind of intensity.
0: Yeah, no, that that, I think that's the biggest thing. And when you you know you talk about you know a guy like Wiggins kind of floating along, I mean that that you know if there's anybody that's uh, that's going to be able to to kick him in the pants again, do do what he's supposed to, you know, it's it's a lot easier when it's a guy on the court telling you that than if it's you know Tibbs barking uh, ice from the from the sideline, you know, which is a different. It's a lot different. It's a lot different style when it's coming from Jimmy Butler than it is
2: from him. Yeah, it's a lot closer. (laughs) <laughs> in proximity yeah. that's
0: true and jimmy and jimmy is a guy too that is is not going to be shy to say something either i mean there, there's some guys that, that maybe aren't always quick to to jump on somebody like that jimmy jimmy is never shy so he will uh he will he will be um you know he he will he will definitely not be shy to to, to tell to tell andrew what to do and when to do it if uh, if he thinks he's not doing what he's supposed to it'll be you know that'll that'll make for that'll make for a pretty interesting thing to watch um and you, you've touched on it a little bit but I, I assume that we think the the starting five is going to be teague butler wiggins uh gibson and town so if that if that is the case um what what do you think the bench is going to look like in terms of a rotation and uh and 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 what do you think that's going to uh what how do you how do you think that's going to mesh in terms of you know how they rotate in their their first unit and kind of balance things out
2: uh, well, the only question on that starting lineup is, you know, the other only other thing is they could start uh, Zhang at power forward and bring in Gibson off the bench. I don't think they'll uh, come to that decision just because I think it puts uh, Gorgie back where he, where he should be, where he's best, one as a center and not a power forward and as a backup center. Even though you're paying him a lot of money to be a backup center, still in that second unit, that's a pretty good guy to bring in. A guy who's pretty uh, talented can spread the floor you'll see a little bit more of his three point range this year but you know the 15 17 foot shot he can hit um and that's the big question the one the big question is you know have they improved the bench and two is uh uh is Tibbs going to use it given how much he loves to play as starters you know so, <laughs> right um, but uh you know now you've got i don't know how much uh Crawford Jamal Crawford has left left but he swears he has two three four more years left he's 37 but he certainly gives them a guy you know they need they needed some scoring particularly before they went out and got uh shabazz to come back but now you got uh, him and shabazz you still you're not very good defensively still with that unit i think they're still going to go out and sign a backup point guard right now their backup point guard is tyus jones and i would be surprised if they go into preseason and into the regular season with him as the main guy behind teague i think you'll go see him go get somebody from his bulls days whether it's aaron brooks or cj watson or even brings kurt heinrich back after a year i don't um you know somebody who knows the system and who he's comfortable with to, to bring in and then you've got, uh, you know, you got, uh, Shabazz and Crawford on the on the wings. You can play Crawford a little at the one if you need to. Um, then the big question for for that unit is Nemanja Belice, who uh, hurt his knee and was out in March for the rest of the year. Who is that stretch four. You know, he's he's the kind of guy if he gets healthy and and uh, kind of you know figures it out here in his third NBA season. He's a guy too who could be a possibility. I don't know if they start him, but at least be on the floor at the end because he can shoot the three and stretch the floor. If you if you say hey. Gibson, there's too much of a liability because they just pack it in too much. Um, but the question is, he, he's one of those guys who, or, you know, he broke one of those little bones in your your feet. It's always a dangerous thing with a big man. So we'll see how he comes back. They got him and they got Justin Patton, the first-round pick, who were both coming back from not the same bone, but both with uh, broken bones in their foot. So we'll see. Uh, I think uh, Belitz is probably... F- I'm, I'm sure he's further along, so if he's ready for camp or if it's more towards the start of the regular season, but uh, you know, I, I, I get the feeling that um, uh, Tibbs is feeling very comfortable with what he's got. They still got a couple moves to make with that bench, but uh, um, just you know, with with what he's uh, added and will add, that he's that he's much happier than he was a year ago um, with with what they've got for a second unit.
0: I think you're right, and it will be it will be very interesting to watch them. And, and yeah, hopefully, I hope for your sake that that. Uh, that streak finally does end because it would be fun to see this team take a step forward and finally get back in the playoffs and give some Timberwolves fans some things to watch in, in April and May and to, to finally get the, uh, the, the, the curse talk out of the way and uh, just focus on basketball in the spring instead of draft
2: picks. Well, whether, whether it was when they were an expansion team or now the last 10 years I've covered them. I've covered 14 Wolves seasons and not one have once have they ever made the playoffs? So you're the curse. Forget everything else. The, it's you. <laughs> I've got I've got a colleague who calls me the kiss of death. So, <laughs> so my I, I actually figured it out. In my career winning percentage for those 14 seasons is uh, 0. 0.293, which I looked it up. <sighs> as wow. worse than even, which is even worse than Kurt Rambis's career percentage. <sighs> wow, that is that is unbelievable. Wow. Um, Jeez. Well,
0: hopefully hopefully for your sake for, for having an enjoyable uh having an enjoyable season. Hopefully that starts to change. But, but thanks uh thanks for coming on, man. I always appreciate it. And uh and and let me know um, or let the people know before you go where they can follow you on Twitter and if you've got anything uh, planned for, for the start of camp as things get rolling here.
2: Well, they're going to San Diego for a camp, so that's going to be interesting. Then they're going to China to play. Uh, they're going to be in San Diego for eight, nine days. They're going to play the Lakers in Anaheim. Then they're going to China. I'll be in San Diego. I won't be in China, but uh, startribune.com. I think it's just slash Wolves. They'll get you right to the Wolves page. And uh, Jerry with a J uh, on Twitter, uh, Z G O D A is my Twitter handle, but I'll be on camp. Uh, following how this all the pieces get put together, and before you know it, they're going to be in San Antonio for the for the regular season opener because that's going to come fast this year with it with it up um, up a a week, and they're only playing three preseason games, so uh, um, which I'm not going to complain about. So. Uh, <laughs> But it's going to be interesting to see how this team comes together and see, you know, if the pieces fit just exactly where we think they're going to fit and how good they're going to be. I mean, it's going to be hard to tell in the preseason, but uh, it'll be fun to watch them play um, uh, the Warriors a couple times in China and then uh, um, just see where they fit. To, you know, starting opening night with a team like the Spurs and uh, how long it takes them to figure out what the, what the puzzle is going to look like.
0: Yeah, it'll be very cool. So thanks, uh, thanks again for the time, man. I appreciate it, and I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay. Thanks.
0: All right, Brett, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you doing this a second time. Uh, we, I, I recorded a bunch of these right before the season started, kind of thinking that most of the craziness had uh, had ended. And then the Thunder not only traded for Carmelo Anthony, but got Russell Westbrook to sign a contract extension. So I appreciate you, uh, you double dipping on this and doing it again.
3: Yeah that's fine. I literally everything we talked about pretty much <laughs> was like,
0: completely worthless like uh 2 days after we did it. It really was. It was it was pretty it was pretty remarkable. And I think we even I think we even said that there, there weren't really going to make a, any kind of play for Carmelo It didn't make sense. I mean it's just is it great. So yeah. but yeah. let's let's start with that in chronological order. Uh I was on your podcast with you guys at, uh last week and we talked about this but what um what was kind of the the thought process for you guys in OKC as You know, that that mellow news kind of all of a sudden materialized in the span of about 12 hours from, hey, this guy's willing to actually waive his no trade clause to come here to now he's actually here and on the team. Yeah,
3: it was really interesting because the the thought process all the way through was he's never going to say yes to this. Right. Uh And I think a couple of things happened there. Obviously, uh, when they first started, when his name first came up with them, they didn't have Paul George. So that changes things. Paul George obviously is different. But then I think, too, as you got closer and closer to the season and it became very clear Houston was not going to be able to work out a deal for whatever reason, whether it was because the Knicks weren't going to take Ryan Anderson or whatever, that situation in New York was just untenable. And I think that 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 forces his hand a little bit. On the other side of that, I think Paul George was pushing him a little bit and recruiting him. And so I think that and Westbrook all that was stuff too, sort of, for sure. Yeah. 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 And to whatever extent, I mean, as Melo said, they have a relationship but Russell doesn't really do convincing, it's Not right. really. Thing. <laughs> yes. but, but they've known each other. They're both Jordan brand guys. They yep. they had an Olympic experience together. And, they and him and
0: Paul ball. and him and Paul are legitimately tight to your point. Yeah.
3: Like, like, and it shows like genuinely close guys. And you can tell like they, they, they've known each other. They played in the Olympics. they they've uh, formed a friendship that way. They've talked in the past about playing together the Olympics are obviously a great resource for guys to get together and collude to get you know, like to get on the same team. Yeah. Um, happened a lot. And so, yeah. So like that changed everything and everything changed really quickly. I think just that combination of factors, suddenly Paul George is here. The, the, the Houston thing wasn't going to happen. And it was just clear he didn't want to start in New York and New York didn't want him to start there. So I think that opens up some things. And then the other thing that we just weren't sure from our side of it, we didn't know if the Knicks would take in Canner, And that was, the only way Oklahoma City had any chance to do this, you had to balance out those salaries because the Thunder clearly well over the cap. They couldn't right. absorb any salary. Right. So they were going to have to K- – Canner was the only piece. It was the only way it worked, and the Knicks were willing to take Canner. And, and you know, if you'd have told me – everybody says, like, wow, you guys really said they weren't going to get Carmelo. And I said, well, if you'd have told me Mello was willing to accept the trade and the Knicks would take Canner, I'd have told you it would have happened in a heartbeat, but I just <laughs> never expected <laughs> right. those two things to come to pass
0: right no and and, I, and both of those were fair I mean look Carmelo like I've said a couple times I, I think Carmelo deserves credit for um uh I think Carmelo deserves credit for being willing to go outside of you know the kind of the destinations he had in mind because he did have a no trade clause and he probably could have forced his way to Houston if he just made it completely untenable in New York and you know the Thundergate credit because They not only swung for the fences on Paul George, which kind of laid the ground for him to wait the no trade clause. They also managed to get that second round pick from the bulls back in the spring. And there's, there's no question that that's the best pick that the, um, that the Thunder, the Knicks are going to be able to get for Carmelo. They weren't getting a first round pick from any of the teams that were involved and to get a high, a really high second round pick, you know, probably 31 or 32 in the draft, which is a really valuable pick um, to get, to get that kind of asset in this deal, you know, made, you know, you didn't take on longer term money with Canada. Like it all just kind of lined up to where, you know, they could, they could really make a swing for the fences and and get Carmelo there.
3: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's all very fortuitous. And, and, you know, some of these moves are foresight and some of them are luck. Um, But, yeah, that that second round pick. I remember people I I remember talking to Alvin Gentry, uh, the Pelicans coach, uh, shortly after that trade happened. uh, New Orleans was here and him just talking about it. And I think this was the consensus around the league. He he was talking about how he heard about that trade and then got told the second round pick changed hands. And he assumed Oklahoma City had to give it up. Right. At at Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott trade. I think that was sort of the, the thing around the league. People were really surprised. Surprised about that trade more than anything. Just
0: surprised the second round pick. I was, at, I was at the time. I can assure yeah. you, I actually made multiple calls to make sure I was actually hearing it right. That well, that was when it broke out.
3: We were the same way as it was happening. We were like, wait, you're, they're getting it. Like they're not sending it out. So it was that that pick ends up being really, really important because you know the Thunder's had an incredible run here of of shrewd moves and really good fortune um, to to just completely overhaul this team.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's what you need. I mean, if you're if you're in a position like they were, um, you need both of those things. Like people, um, people will always act like uh, you know there's some teams that are just smarter than other teams, and and that is true to a degree. But you also just need to get lucky, and you know you can have the best laid plans in any situation, and you can just not have it work out. I mean, you look at the Thunder, right? Even the same team. Two years ago, it looked like they were well set up to be, you know, an elite championship contender for years to come. And a bunch of things break wrong. um, And all of a sudden, Kevin Durant leaves and it looks like the team is stuck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and then this now, year you now, know, now they flip it around and a year later if they make a couple moves and now they're back in the same position they thought they were going to be all up. Yeah, and you you
3: could it's so hard to have what happened here happen. They, you know, extenuating circumstances with both Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, it's really hard to do this. And look, every team in the league would have liked to have done it, and they did it, so they get credit. But it's it's really it's almost impossible the odds to align the way things had to align for this to happen.
0: Yeah, no, there's no question. And it, it is remarkable that it really um that it really did play out this way. And now now you've got, you know, I was just there with you guys the other day, like I said, now you've got, you know, three Hall of Famers in Oklahoma City uh, for the first time really since uh, the, you know, the Harden, Westbrook, Durant days of the early, you know, early part of this decade, which, you know, I think. For for as good as the Thunder were before, you didn't uh you didn't really think that, that they were gonna get to this point again. And now now they've got all three of these guys, even though Carmelo's kind of phased out of his, you know, core prime years, he's still really good. And, you know, it it's it's remarkably gonna be a really fun year now. Now let's let's we'll get to Westbrook in a bit, but let's oh actually you know what we'll do that now. So what, what did, you know, I was obviously with you on Friday in the wake of the Westbrook extension announcement. I think we were kind of a similar mind of where this was, but you know, what, what was kind of the the mindset, you know, coming into camp with Westbrook still not having, having signed that extension. And then just to give kind of people a window into it, what has it been like over the last few days now that that is official and he is locked up to be there for the rest of his prime.
3: Yeah, I didn't think he was going to sign it. I kept thinking he wasn't going to sign it. And, and, and we've talked about this a million times, but there were a lot of reasons not to sign it. I mean, just from the, the simple point was that he could get this same contract in a year. And if he wanted to stay with the Thunder, he could he could sign exactly the same five-year contract. It would be a new contract. So he could even get a couple of benefits. He could add a no-trade clause if he wanted to. He had all the options that he had in front of him this year. He had them next year. Um, he also had, you know, he could align himself with Paul George and Carmelo Anthony and be free agents at the same time. Right. Uh, you know, he had all these sort of advantages to not doing it. The one thing, I, I, I said this before, and I continue to say it, inside the organization, there was quiet optimism that he was going to do it. And against the odds, I think everybody outside thought That was kind of a weird thing to be thinking, Um, but they kind of always had a sense. And I will say this. They have a very good relationship with his representation. I think they (laughs) always feel like there's good communication there. That's always the sense that I've gotten. Um, and I, I, you know, Westbrook never really, he never talked about it. Uh, he sort of pointedly didn't talk about it, uh, sort of, uh, famously told you that he hadn't even thought about it. Which, <laughs> yes. He was just like, I haven't thought about the idea of signing <laughs> a million dollar contract extension, which is absurd and, and not true, right. obviously. Right. Uh, but, but the public sentiment was always, he just always said, this is where I want to be. He had the luggage commercial. He had statements all the time saying, I want to be here, but that didn't preclude. Even when he walked into camp last week and said you know, look, I had a busy summer. Um, I'll I'll look into this, um, but, you know, this is where I want to be. My thought on that was always, I still ultimately thought he was going to sign with the Thunder. I just didn't think he was going to sign this extension. I thought he'd get to next summer and he'd do something different, a three-year with an option. Maybe he'd wait till the summer and sign the five-year, but get it, you know, wait wait and see, get a better feel for Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. Uh, Instead, he just sort of backed up his words. He said he wanted to be here and he committed to being here. And so, you know, it's been – the, you asked what it's been like. It's been a, a celebration. Basically, they had a party for him. They had a rally They before their blue and white scrimmage. Uh, one of the local high schools, they rotate their, their scrimmage around these uh, high schools in the area. They had a big parking lot. They put a stage up there. He came out and addressed the crowd and did a and a and they had dancers and a DJ and you know I mean like party is really the only thing you could say to describe it it was essentially the same kind of thing they had for when Paul George arrived he did a a big celebration and then he went in and did the press conference and he was salty and surly about having to do the press conference but he was right he was Russell. He was, he was, uh, exactly what you kind of expect him to be. He's, he's sort of a man of the people here. He was great when he was out there with the crowd. Uh, and even after signing a big contract extension, he didn't really want to talk to us.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he was hashtag on brand, uh, to be very sure. much. Yes. Um, all right, so let, let's get to the, the crux of the matter here, which is how this is going to work. You were at the game, I assume, last night in Tulsa, yep. right? So, you know, Russell still hasn't practiced yet. He's kind of getting ramped up from a, a PRP injection into his knee, which I'm frankly kind of curious to see how that translates during the season. But let's we'll set that aside for now. Um, how do you anticipate the meshing of them together going, Paul George, Carmelo, and and. And Russell I I think the pieces fit very well um, as a whole with Steven Adams with Andre Robertson I think that starting five makes a lot of sense um, but but what are the key adjustments you think this team is gonna have to um, to do in order to to kind of make this all work properly
3: well I hate to steal somebody else's answer but it's, it's fresh in my head we just we just had Michael Lee on our podcast to talk about this and one of the things that Michael talked about and this is very true I think to for a big three to work and we've got a lot of experience right in the last 10 or 15 right. years we've seen a whole bunch of these. Yep. Uh, one of the things that has to happen and Michael stressed this point and it's very true. One guy has to be okay and it doesn't have to be the same guy every night of the whole season, but one guy's got to be okay with the idea that I'm going to suffer a little bit statistically. Something I did is not going to be the same. I'm going to get fewer shots. I'm going to get fewer points, maybe my rebounds aren't as high. Whatever the case may be, somebody's got to be willing to accept. But they've got to get buy in. And if they get that, I agree with you. I think the pieces fit really well. Now, you know, is Russell Westbrook going to be okay with not racking up triple-doubles? Um is Paul George going to be okay with maybe getting a few less shots than he got? Is Carmelo Anthony going to be okay Um, transitioning out of some of what he's done in the past in terms of where he gets the ball and and doing a little bit more spot up. He's not going to be purely a spot up guy. We know that Mel's getting the ball at the elbow and doing things, but he's going to have to accept a little bit of a different role. The, The interesting thing to me about these guys, and I think you've talked about this too, these are some guys who are not late in their careers. Melo is late, in it, getting late in his career. The other two guys are in their primes, but they haven't won at the level they'd like to win. Westbrook has the best track record of these guys because he's been to a Finals. He's been back to a Western Conference Finals. George has made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and people forget was really good in them and and really you know sort of sort of pushed Miami in those Finals. Um, but those guys haven't, you know, they don't have a title. Um, Melo in particular is a guy who's kind of looked down on in terms of his track record as a winner. So I think you've got a motivated trio of guys. It's just a matter of, to me, that idea that somebody has to concede some things. And it's also, it's not just that it's doing it. You know, it's easy to do certain times. It's hard to do when when you're in game two of a playoff series against the Spurs and you're down three with a minute to go. It's hard to get all three of those guys. It it can be hard. We can't say that it's going to be right. To not revert to old habits, to not be the guy. Westbrook is a guy who takes over at the end of games. game. So is Mello. Paul George wants to be that guy. Made it very clear last year in the playoffs. So how are those things gonna work? All that stuff is gonna be fascinating. And we're so far away from having answers for that because we just haven't even seen Westbrook on the floor. He's had one real practice with those guys, and obviously it was closed. But this week was his first like full contact practice.
0: Yeah, no, and that that will be interesting to see and, and they have time to to kind of work it out. And I I have said that. I mean, we we talked about I think when I was on your podcast. I really believe, you know, I'm, I'm writing about them late. You know, I think this is coming out Friday. I'm going to write about the thunder for Friday. I mean, they, they really remind me of the 2008 Celtics in that they, they have these guys that are all, you know, towards the later, you know, the back half of their prime, they've, they've done a lot of winning, but they haven't won a championship. They haven't been in the mix for a while. And like, now they're all, they're all coming together. Um, and they're going to be in on, on this team and they all should have a collective chip on their shoulder. I mean Paul George kind of summed it up to me the other day when he said, "Look, you know, we're all guys that, you know, we're all playing for something." And and that the, that kind of that kind of motivation um, especially for Paul and Carmelo, two guys that have been out of the mix and not really, you know, they, they were guys that were used to being, you know, going fairly deep in the playoffs or having a chance or thinking they had a chance. For the last couple of years, they were on teams that were irrelevant. I mean, different kinds of irrelevant. The Knicks didn't make the playoffs. The Pacers lost in the first round. But they there weren't teams that anyone looked at and said, that team's got a chance to really make a run. Right and Now that they're on a team that's like that, I, I think being in that kind of situation should really – You know, energize and empower those guys to kind of fight through any issues they have, which you're right. There will be some times when they're running into some difficulties, but I really don't think that that's going to be in the end a huge issue because these guys all have reason to work past those things and make it work.
3: Yeah, I think the other thing with Mello too, you know, Paul George that that had gone south in Indiana. They were not what they had been before, and I think that was hard for him. Mello, in addition to not having won lately, has just been going through a circus, and some of that is by his own. It's his own fault. Right. Some of it. Right. Some of it. Much of it, you could argue, was Phil Jackson's fault and the organization's fault. Sure, but it was drama all the time, and that's one thing Carmelo talking about. Any guy who gets into a new situation, right, is going to talk like this. But I do think there's something to the idea that Carmelo is here, and he's he's here for basketball. And it's well, really he's there, and he's there, be-
0: and he's there because he wanted to be. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. He's not. It's not a situation like even like Paul George, where like he just got dropped in there and had to figure it out. Right. Right. And Carmelo had to actively choose. To go to the Thunder, just like right. Kevin Garnett, wasn't his actively first choice, choose to go to the but, Celtics, and that right. wasn't his first choice either. But eventually, right. they kind of convinced him to do it. And when when you have a guy that buys in like that, it's almost like signing him as a free agent because you have to you have to convince him to come there. And so you would think, especially in his case, you know, to your point, I, in, on top of all the nonsense he had to deal with in New York, he is a guy that actively and openly decided I'm going to play this season and maybe next season in Oklahoma city, which yeah. should really help in terms of trying to get everybody on the same page. Yeah. And by
3: the way, I think he's going to play next season in Oklahoma city now too, because I, I yes. think the weapon, West- Thing I think the Westbrook thing ultimately will lead him to opt into that money just because it's a win-win. Unless he just hates it, unless this just doesn't go well. If the right. if the Westbrook dynamic isn't good, if he just doesn't like whatever whatever it is about the organization doesn't like.
0: There are barring people, any of that stuff. There are already he'll... people around the league who expected Carmelo to opt in because they just didn't see a way that he was going to get that kind of money, and they didn't. And this is a guy that over the course of his career has always usually chosen the path of getting the most money. Which hey, more power to him. I'm not saying. Right. As a criticism, but um, he he probably was going to have a hard time matching twenty eight million dollars as a free agent. Now with Russell Westbrook there, if he does come back, they're definitely going to be at least a good team, and so right. it's not him there by himself in a small market on a terrible team. So right, I'm with exactly. you. I would say I think it does. As somebody in the league said to me the other day, it went from a near certainty to a virtual certainty that he uh, that he's going to opt in now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that seems very likely. Because I, I did not I could not have seen him even for the money staying here in a situation where both the other guys had left. But with one of them guaranteed to be here, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me if it works out that he would want to be here. Right. Now
0: I, I wanna let's I wanna touch on two more things. Let's start with the the other two guys in the starting lineup, Andre Robertson and Steven Adams. Robertson got re-signed this summer. Adams signed a big extension last fall. Um two guys that kind of had interesting years, I think. Robertson a tremendous defensive player, uh excellent guarding one, twos and 3s, um can guard 4s in a pinch, uh but is a very bad offensive player. Um had became a terrible really fell off the, the planet as a free throw shooter last year, you know, famously during the playoffs, especially. Um and Stephen Adams just didn't quite live up to what people thought he was going to. He was brilliant in the playoffs the prior year, Kevin Durant's last year, uh, really just dominated inside against both the Spurs and the Warriors. Um, But last season, for whatever reason, just didn't quite ever seem to be in sync. Uh, Did seem like he kind of took a step back as the Russell Westbrook show took off and didn't really uh, ever look comfortable all year. Um, How how do you think those two guys are going to fit in, uh, you know, around this um, this trio of stars that they're going to be in the starting lineup with.
3: Well, on paper, they they they, be, they stand to benefit a whole lot just because of of the, the just the space that both those guys create. The fact that you'll have Carmelo Anthony and Paul George out there, uh, I think it opens up some pick and roll stuff for Adams that teams could pretty easily take away last year. Um, you know, Robertson. I think what you want to do with Robertson in those situations is kind of last year. So often he was kind of parked in the corner. He shot way too many threes for a bad. Shoot shooter. Now you can get him on the move a little bit more. Some of the things you mentioned Adams Robertson also, uh, you know, some of the things he did in the playoffs, really the past two years, uh, he had a good offensive series against Houston, even though he couldn't make free throws. I think he was their second leading scorer in that series, partially because teams just didn't guard him. And he could, you know, he could make cuts and, 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 run the baseline and get some easy baskets. Uh, he should get more of that stuff and he should be in a role that he's a little bit more comfortable with. They could post him a little bit. I think that was certainly going to be a plan when Patrick Patterson was going to start a power forward. You're just going to park Patterson in the corner. It won't be exactly what you do with Melo. Obviously that'll be a little right. different, right. But you know, it gives them, he's obviously he's an elite defender. He has a great chance to be a first team all league defender. Now that he's going to be a two guard. Cause he just didn't have a chance at small forward. Um, if he had been a two last year, I think he would have made it right. So, He he. Those two guys give you a really good sort of uh, defensive tandem. You got a guy in Adams who can do a lot of things. He even last year was a little out of sync defensively. And I think you know, just watching the first few minutes against Houston last night, you saw him look very active. Uh, He was really engaged defensively. He played a great first quarter defensively. Adams did. And I think maybe we'll see him get back to some of that stuff. And I do think that last year the the the, the inability for them, whether it was because teams took some stuff away or because of how much Westbrook was dominating the ball, whatever it was, he didn't get a lot of touches. He didn't seem to be as engaged as you'd like him to be. I think he stands to to be a little bit back in that area, be a little bit more what we thought he could be two years ago, um, because I think you know these two new guys create some of the things that Durant created for him in terms of space on the floor. I think Robertson could be I think you could see situations because George is such a great defender. I think you could see situations where Robertson's maybe off the floor more than he was last year. Maybe his minutes could go down just a little cuz I think they they have some options lineup-wise. They can toy with a lot of things. I think you could effectively you know Paul George is a good playmaker you could effectively put him at the two sometimes um, let Mello even play a little three and have Patrick Patterson out there with Adams you got a lot of flexibility to do some things and some of those things might dictate that Robertson is off the court because his defense while it's great and if you can have two wing defenders like him and George there's a whole lot you can do but you also have the option now of just throwing George into those defensive situations you had him in last year and then having a better offense around him
0: yeah no totally there's a lot a of, lot of freedom there and a lot of flexibility now the final thing I to touch on is the bench, and, and we kind of talked about this a little bit watching that scrimmage the other day. I'm very curious to see what happens with the Thunder's bench because, you know, I, I think they got a chance to be the second-best team in the West and, uh, and make the conference finals, and I, I stand by what I wrote. But watching them in person did kind of make me wonder what their second unit's going to look like. I mean, I think Raymond Felton was a big upgrade at point guard um, over what they had last year, and I think that, you know, assuming Patrick Patterson's knee is healthy, which I, I'm pretty concerned about, um, uh, he is an excellent, uh, big to have off the bench at either the four or the five. So you feel really good there, but you know, you look at the rest of their squad and, and they're going to need to be relying on guys like Jeremy Grant, Alex Abrines. Um, and that, that's kind of the back half of the rotation of guys who they're definitely going to need to play. And they still need to probably find another guy to play, whether they try to develop a guy like Terrence Ferguson, who played a little bit with the starters on Sunday or, um or try to come up with something else or a buyout guy or something it I just kind of wonder what their depth situation is going to look like and I'm and, and I know they have said they're going to keep you know at least one of those guys on the court at all time, one of the big three on the court at all times which will help with that but I was just kind of curious from your perspective being around them um is that something that you're curious about too to kind of see how they how Billy Donovan a guy who does like to play a lot of guys manages that second unit and and you know how they try to find maybe a little more depth to round out that team. Yeah, he, he does. There's a lot
3: here, so I'll try to make it. A Sorry, so I was short, a very long question. Like, yeah. I apologize. No, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, no, I, these are real important issues. I think this is like a really important piece of of what we talk about when we talk about them. Um, I think Abrinas is a candidate to kind of make a jump, not a huge leap, but I think he can be a much better player. He was pretty good last year uh, when they got him out on the floor in the playoffs. Defensively, he's got some problems. When they got him out there with McDermott, uh, that was a pretty good mix, and they don't have McDermott anymore. But but Abrinas, has, he's got Westbrook's trust, which is a, a not small thing. Um, he's a really good shooter. I think he got he gained some weight. I worry about his knees a little bit, too. He's had a long string of stuff, and he's 24 years old, and that's that's a little bit of an alarm bell for me. Um, and I'm a little worried about Patterson as well, just because the the arthroscopic surgery was August 10th. Uh, this is not an abnormal amount of time, but he's had some issues before. And well, and and you've so- got to figure
0: you've got to figure for as good a job as they did locking him up for three years and 15 million this summer. Yeah, gotta that you gotta wonder when a guy who is exactly. good is only able to get that much money. It, it does make you wonder why he was only able to get that much money.
3: Yeah, and, and people would tell you that when he had his knee problems last year in Toronto, he was not the same. Um, yeah, so he was not. That's- and so that's, th- there's some concern there. If he's healthy and Abrinas is healthy, and those are big ifs right now, that bench looks a lot better because we haven't seen those guys yet. If those guys are out there and they're contributing, that helps a whole lot. But even if you're going to stagger, you know, the backup five is a thing. You know, it's not like, like just because center is not a thing that you need as much anymore. You know, and like Ennis, Can- Ennis Cantor was a valuable guy. He scored. He was a, he's one of the best offensive he's really rebounder. good,
0: he's a really good bench player in today's episode.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and so like he, you know, like he's not nothing to give up for Carmelo Anthony. He's a piece that you you have to replace in a rotation. So you know they're going to be playing Jeremy Grant at the five. If Patterson gets back and healthy, they're going to play him some at the five. That's an interesting combination because those guys are both undersized. And you know it's the NBA in 2017. You can do a lot of stuff. Those guys are switchy. There's a lot of stuff you can you can employ with those two dudes out there that. It's intriguing, um, but it's not a traditional backup center. Um, you know, we saw Adams go out last night. Uh, James Harden kind of pulled him down to the floor on a flagrant foul as he was falling. Uh, and, and you know, you thought about that. If he goes out for any period of time, that's a weird sort of center spot. Dakari Johnson is just kind of there. He's not going to play a lot. Um, you know, I think to me they would be wise. And they've got a situation right now where Samadji Christian's not guaranteed. And they've got Isaiah Cannon in camp. And everybody's kind of focused on, oh, like, who's going to get that third point guard part? Um, we've taught Eric uh, Horn, who covers the team with me, and I've talked about this a lot the last 24 hours or so. Maybe the best thing to do is not keep either one of those guys and leave yourself a spot open. Um, because if you look at this team, you know, we we talked about Carmelo choosing to be here. A couple days after that, Dwayne Wade was like, you know, he was looking at this. Well, and, that, and I was and, actually literally just going to say that when you were done and talking. And like nobody, Dwayne Wade doesn't look at this a year ago. He well, doesn't look at it three right. months ago. Right. And so this is a place where if a guy gets bought out, this is going to be one of those places. You're going to look and say, hey, Westbrook's right. there. Mellow's there. PG is there. I could go there and, and do a little something. So I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world for these guys to go in with a with a, a spot open, given all those bench questions and given that appeal that they suddenly have.
0: Well, and what I was going to say was you could see why the Thunder were so desperate to try to get Dwayne Wade. Because- well, that too. They just they 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 do have some legitimate issues, and I I am I'm with you. I, I think I think Abrinas can be a helpful piece, though I am a little concerned that he's had he had an issue on one knee during Eurobasket, and he had an issue with the other knee. Uh, now in camp, and Patterson's knee is a little iffy. Uh, Felton, obviously, I think, like I said, is a good backup point guard. I'm not sold on Jeremy Grant. They they feel like they've got somewhere between seven and eight guys. That you feel good about, like Felton Patterson, twelve, no, right, <laughs> like
3: exactly. Get, leave it to
0: him, and he'll play twelve dudes, right? Felton and Patterson, if they're healthy, I think you're confident about in the playoff series. I'm not confident about abrinas yeah. I'm not confident about Jeremy Grant. You put them together, right. you say you have eight. You're still probably right. two guys short. So yeah, and
3: I I would say I, you know in two fake settings, a super fake scrimmage and a semi fake
0: preseason game right I
3: like Ferguson but I mean he's whatever he is what he looks like he's 165 pounds yes not yes. that he's, he's not a, ready
0: he's a, he's a very talented guy who I love that they took him I think you know, I'm a firm believer that if you get a chance to take, you know, we're talking about Terrence Ferguson, who's a, a guy who was a top 10 recruit in the nation, was going to go to Arizona. I think he had some transcript issues. I don't exactly remember, but then he ended up going up playing in Australia instead. Um, Really long, athletic guy, threw down a big dunk in that scrimmage, could shoot the ball from three, Um, got the potential to be kind of the three and D guy everybody's looking for long term. But like you said, he looks like a teenager and yeah, yeah. he, I mean, he doesn't 19, look ready to play in the NBA right now. Yeah.
3: Even after a year in Australia, he's still 19. He went into college just like a, you know, normal. He was not one of those guys who's in no. first class.
0: And it and um, it feels like it does. Am I wrong that it feels like they are going to try to give him more run than we expected? I wonder, you know, uh
3: he, Billy Donovan has used him interestingly in the preseason a lot the way he used Demonte Sabonis, which was put him out there with guys who are experienced and know how to play. Right. And- see what happens. Now they were short, you know, they had a very different roster and DeMontis bonus ended up starting most right. of the year. Right. And even after they traded for Taj Gibson for a while, which was absurd and a whole other stories. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, maybe they were building his value for a trade. So that worked. But, um, <laughs> right. You know, th- th- they've done that. It's going to be different. He's not going to be a starter, obviously. But the idea that they might look at him a little bit in the rotation, I think they're certainly at least taking this look at him to see if he can be that. I don't think he can. I still think he's going to – my guess is he's going to play more in the G League than he does for the Thunder because I think he just – minutes. He's nineteen. Right. He just I think you'd like to have him play. So you you to me you bring him the 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 G League team, the blue, is in town. So you can have him come over and he gets the benefit of practicing with Carmelo Anthony and Paul George. And then you can go have him get minutes. I still think that's what's gonna happen. But I will say he's a little ahead right now of where I thought he would be so they might be giving it a look just to see
0: well and they and like we said I I look at their roster and they just don't have a lot of options so they I think I think early in the season you know I think you might see him play almost just out of at a default setting because Billy does like you said Billy likes to play guys and if you're not going to play him I mean are you gonna really play Isaiah Kanan or Samaj Christian over him like that' th- probably not so, no, I mean, they'd rather have Paul George with the ball in his hands than sure. either one of those exactly. guys for the most part. And they've got felt in the play whenever in any minutes at Westbrook right. isn't on the court. So I could actually see him being a guy that they have in the rotation, say, the first half of the year and get him some time and minutes. And if he grows into something great, and if not, kind of like Sabonis last year, when it gets down to, you know, to, to you know, the... The brass tacks and you're getting towards the end of the season you get a buyout guy or two in. then he drops out of the rotation like I could kind of see see it play out that way because like we said I'm very curious after watching them in person it kind of dawned on me that their second unit stuff is going to be really interesting because you can get through the year with those three guys and they're going to score a lot of points and be really good but if you have any injuries or just in the course of 82 games, you need to have that second unit that could come in and not be a train wreck. Oklahoma City fans know that better than anybody because last year, whenever Westbrook left the court, the Thunder would fall off a cliff because his backup point cards were horrendous. And if you have those, if you have that on the wing now instead or, you know, in the front court instead, all of a sudden, you know, it just shifts around your whole team and, and makes you have to try to overcompensate for it. becomes a real issue.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things. They, they have a nice seven or eight guys. And then there are some questions because, like they, they don't. You don't want to be playing Kyle Singler, um, <laughs> right? They, they don't have faith in Josh Eustace And there are people, there are people who watch Josh Eustace play in the in the G League, and more power to them. They think he can play in the NBA, and maybe that's true. I just don't think it's going to happen here. There's a the the league is full of guys who went somewhere else and they got a chance and they played. And that might be Josh uses, but like Billy Donovan last night was asked about him. Um, and he said the same thing he said about him last year all the time, which is he's a guy who was a power forward in college. He's making that transition to, to the wing in the NBA. And there are a lot of struggles and some ups and downs that come with that. And that just tells me that they still feel the same way about him. They felt last year, which is that he wasn't going to be a guy in their rotation. So they got a lot of guys who just aren't going to play. And so, you know, they, they've got to figure out something and, and, You know, at this point, it almost looks like it's a Kyle Singler or Terrence Ferguson thing. And maybe you just take a swing at Terrence Ferguson and see what happens.
0: Yeah, no, it'll be really interesting to watch. So, so, Brad, I appreciate the time, man. I kept you too long as it is. But uh, before you go, just let people know where they can follow you and, and anything you've got coming up here.
3: Yeah, we got a lot of stuff coming up, so uh, they can follow me at, at @b_dawsonwrites on Twitter. And I've got uh, I've got a big Carmelo Anthony package coming this Sunday, barring some news that moves it. But I got some some uh, a pretty interesting Melo thing coming up on Sunday. I think talked to a whole lot of people about his kind of Olympic experience and and how that might be a blueprint for for how this works here.
0: Yeah, we talked about that, sir. So I'm looking to read. Look forward to reading it. So uh, so yeah, make sure you check that out. And uh, thanks for doing this, man. I'll see you down the road. All right, thanks, Tim. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st postupnewsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. All right, Mike. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, I, I know you got a wedding to go to this weekend, and then training camp next week. So I appreciate you making some time. So thanks. Uh, thanks for stopping by.
4: Hey, happy to be here.
0: All right, so let's start with I think the most interesting guy on the roster, Yusuf Nurkic. Last year, you know, Mason Plumlee uh, gets sent to gets sent to Denver uh, for Nurkic and a first round pick at the at the trade deadline. Um, seemed like kind of an interesting trade at the time, uh, and then Nurkic comes in and blows up uh, while he's. Uh, you know, while he's in, in Portland, right until he gets hurt towards the end of the season, but really it was awesome. I look like a different player down the stretch. And, you know, do you do you think that that it's realistic to expect him to be that good um, over a whole season? Or are you still in wait and see mode to see if he can actually live up to that?
4: Well, that good, I, I think, is reasonable to expect when he's on the court. I think he averaged 15, 10, and two blocks when he played in those 20 glorious games there in Portland. <laughs> When they went fourteen and six, and they were all of a sudden this championship level team or something like that. But I guess for me, the bigger question is not whether he can duplicate that production; it's whether he can do that for seventy five games. Right? Um, If he if he's on the court, I think he's going to be really good. He he looks like he fits well. Um, They don't have another true center. So, you know, they play through him and he seems to fit pretty well with Damon CJ in terms of what he can do offensively and his skills there. But it's can he play 70, 75 games? Because if he doesn't play those games, you know, if he if he plays 60 games, even they're going to be in trouble because they just don't have a lot of help behind him.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that kind of—I think if you look up and down Portland's roster, that kind of uh, that that kind of it, it is a common theme. And I actually, I was going to ask this later, but I'll ask it now since you brought it up. You know, I, I was just looking over over the depth chart before you know we started, so I'd have an idea what what to talk about. And you know, obviously, Dame and CJ are about as dynamic. You know, they're certainly one of the more dynamic backcourts in the league, maybe put them behind maybe Washington and Golden State and one you know Houston maybe one or two others and but they're certainly in that conversation being one of the elite elite duos in the league in the backcourt but there's not a lot behind them and you can kind of go up and down the roster and and say that like if you know if Nurkic gets hurt they've either got Myers Leonard who's struggled or or rookies like Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan uh you know they've got Harkos and Aminu on the wings but you know Evan Turner struggled and Davis and Swanigan maybe behind there like yeah, and then in the backcourt you is specifically what I wanted to ask you about. Obviously you got Dame and CJ, but you know, getting rid of Allen Crabb and his, his large contract this summer I thought made a lot of sense for the, the tax situation that Portland was in. But um but you know, behind that you've basically got, you know, Shabazz Napier, Pat Conn, and then Anthony Morrow and Archie Goodwin. I mean it's not there's not a lot <laughs> of depth back there. And and what do you what do you think they'll do? I know they always have one of the same CJ or Dame on the court, so you know, it's not they're not necessarily gonna need a ball handler, but how do you think they're going to handle that rotation when either one of those guys sit? because there isn't you know for you know Crabb might have been criticized a little bit, but he was still a forty percent three point shooter and could could play NBA minutes on the wing and now now that that was uh, has been taken away from him.
4: Yeah, Crabb was third on the team in minutes. I think that's a pretty important thing that people are not not recognizing. And with all the sort of information that we have out there about NBA teams, people want to applaud like, oh, this was a very savvy financial move to get closer to the cap, but they got worse on the court. you know they right. trade him for dead money. Um, I think that is a huge concern. My guess is that they cleared those minutes out to just play Evan Turner a boatload of minutes at the two. Um, Is that a great plan? Probably not, but I do think that that's the plan. I don't see Pat Connaughton as the sort of solution, even though he's... At least a reasonable facsimile, at his best, to what Allen Crabb did as an as a sh- shooter and a wing player. I don't see them playing a ton of Shabazz Napier minutes just because he's six feet tall and right. playing him next to either Dame or CJ. While he can guard point guards okay, it's just it's not a great solution against teams with wings that can that can punish smaller guards. So I think it's just a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of minutes for Evan Turner at the at the 2 and I think you might see even a little bit of weird big lineups where Mo Harkless is the quote unquote two guard on the court but I also just think you know this this is their thing they're going to roll out with Damon CJ for 36 37 minutes a night and they're going to have you know I don't know nine minutes or eleven minutes when those guys are not on the court together, where they have a an issue at the two guard. And I I think they believe that Evan Turner can soak up those minutes, but uh, I'm not necessarily sold on it right now.
0: Yeah, I mean that was you know Turner was one of the guys. You go back to last season. I mean he he was one of the more uh, criticized signings at the time that it happened. Just giving him a ton of money uh, in in free agency back in in 2016. One of you know many guys that, that benefited from being free agents at the right time and. You know, like you said, if you if you go look at you know the way the the way they played out last year, I mean, he was a guy where when they when he was off the court, the the piss. I'm looking at the at NBA.com right now. The the Blazers were three points better than their opponents when he was off the court per 100 possessions. They were four and a half points worse when he was on. I mean, that's not a great that's yeah, not a it great was... ratio. If you have to now, and I think you're right. I think. Pretty clearly, if you're moving on from if you're moving on from Crab, you have to look at Evan Turner. And say, all right, we have to go play this guy a lot of minutes now, because, um, like you said, they just don't really have another viable option there uh, to to play next to either of those guys.
4: Yeah, there was a very brief window in February where they started Evan Turner at the three and played him with Damon CJ, and that kind of helped his on off numbers because he looked a lot better. Because most players are better when they play with better <laughs> teammates. <laughs> wow. Right, um, that that math kind of shook out for him really well. But when he, he broke his hand shortly after that, and then he came back, and he just never looked right playing with Nurk and, and the two guards. Um, so it, you know, it was his on-off numbers were even worse in December, and then they were helped out a little bit um, in that in that brief February stretch. It was maybe nine or eleven games in February it's right. where it seemed like he figured it out. But he, you know, again, this is the same thing with Yusuf and and all these guys. Is they don't need nine games; they need 75, 78, 80 games. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. No, that's true. And, and and another guy who who struggled at times last year was Al Kaminu. I mean, here's, he's a guy that, you know, in the first year of his deal a couple years ago when Portland kind of surprised everybody and jumped up, you know, he, he looked like he'd found a new three-point shot. I mean, he shot, uh, I want to say, you know, close to 40 I think it was 36%. Yeah, yeah 36%, 36% like from three. Right at league average. Right. and yeah. And with his defensive gifts and his size, you know, that was a really – um, that was a really game changing thing. It looked like it was like, hey, if if uh, Aminu is going to be a thirty six percent three point shooter, that that could really be a game changer. Last year, he drops to thirty three percent. He shoots less attempts per game. Um, you know, looked like a guy that wasn't really going to be uh, guarded nearly as effectively as you are as closely as he was the year before. Um, do, do you do does Portland really need him to get back to that that 15, 16 number? Uh, especially if they are going to be playing Turner more to really give that, give Dame and CJ as much space as humanly possible.
4: Yeah. I mean, Alfredo Camino is the Blazers fourth best player. That's, that's just where they're at as a franchise. He's their fourth best player. And I don't think it's that close. I Mm -hmm. think, Harkless is close and maybe ET if you're a big fan of Evan Turner, but I think, I think chief Alfred Camino is, is their fourth best player pretty clearly after the all-star break. I think he shot 37% from three, but before the all-star break, he dealt with uh, a heel injury and a back injury and he shot like 30% from three and right. he, he just, his turnovers were up to like, he was just way worse. Um, so I, the, his value is basically force people to guard him on the perimeter and defend and rebound. And if he can't do, that he doesn't bring a lot on offense. He's a nightmare when he dribbles. He's not a <laughs> he's not a good passer. Right. And if he and it and he has this wonky shot, but that wonky shot was going in for a year. And if he can sort of rekindle that. And, and like you said, I think that thirty five, thirty six percent is if he can shoot in that range from three, he he'll be really useful. But I mean, he's going to play like so he's just going to muck things up on the quarter. He's going to be good, but he's, you know, they're not going to bury him because they don't have any choice. No, they're Right.
0: They don't have a choice. It's either he hits shots or he doesn't. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. No. And and I, I, they're to me, I mean, they're a lot like even maybe what Washington was last year, though, though I don't think with quite as much talent where, you know, the wizards had this elite starting five. And then when the bench came in, it was a, it was chaos. And I, I could see, I could see a very similar thing happening for the blazers where that starting five is really good. But if, if they have any injuries, or, you know, if, if those bench guys don't step up the way they hope to, they could really be in some in some trouble, especially in a Western Conference where there's a lot of teams fighting for only a limited number of playoff spots in the back half of that, of that playoff picture.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Blazers are not as good as they were last year, um, you know, as, as I mean, maybe those... 50, 20 games with Nurk when they were 14 and six they're i don't think they're that good i just i, I think they're worse than they were a year ago because i think crab changes their death so much that uh you know they just haven't responded in a way and and their finances kind of dictated their inability to respond
0: right to well like you said it, that was that was a good trade from a overall holistic franchise perspective and from a, a financial perspective but you know on the court just looking at it they they swapped out a guy who like you said was 30 minutes for them and they didn't replace him
4: yeah, and, they, that,
0: they, and that's going to be tough.
4: Yeah, they they've got some challenges. They they have they have top end talent. So if if they stay healthy, then they'll be you know in the mix. But uh, I'm I'm maybe not as optimistic as some are here in Portland.
0: No, and I, I think you have I think you have a reason to feel that way. Now, what did you think of the way uh, the the Blazers attacked the draft? I mean, they they came in the draft with three picks, um, and they they move up and they get um, they move up they move two of them to go up and get. Uh, um, Zach Collins with the 10th pick in the draft. And then they draft came to get another big later. I mean, especially now that we're talking about, uh, you know, a team where that has got so many issues uh, in the back half of of their roster in terms of the backcourt, you know, it, it is interesting to look back now. And, and maybe they did. You know, I'm sure they just went by their board and got the two guys they liked the most. But you, you probably would like if you'd swapped out, say, Zach Collins for, you know, Donovan Mitchell or, or Malik, Malik. That's uh, the name or, I was going to say, too. Donovan Canard. Mitchell. Any, any yeah. of those guys, really. Like they Right after them, they went. It was uh, – you know, I, th- you know, they, they went, it was, I think, 11, 12, 13, Malik Monk, Donovan Mitchell, Luke Kennard in some order. Um, and, you know, you look at, I think, I think, I think Kennard went to 12 and Mitchell 13th. Either way, they had three guards go right after them. And now you look at, you look at, uh, at Portland's roster and they've got, you know, five or six bigs that, that they probably like to play at some point. And, you know, they've only really got two quality guards in the backcourt.
4: Yeah, their, their front court rotation is a mess because they got to play Nurk. They got to play uh, Alfru Camino a bunch. Uh, You know, they're committed to sort of figuring out what they have with Noah Vonley. And I think he's an important part. If he can, if he pops, if he, if he can actually play um, and be a contributor, he's a big part of the, of what they're going to do. But then they have $30 million tied up in Myers Leonard, who was a mess and got DNPs to let Alfru Camino play center at the end of the season. They have Ed Davis in a contract year and then Swanigan who looked really good in summer league, but you know, where does a 20 year old rookie fit? And, the Blazers love Zach Collins. They think he's going to be a really good player and I know a, some and a teams huge that had part of the him, future.
0: I know some teams that had him in the top five or six in their boards. Like He, he was, a, especially uh, when you look at him uh, like analytically but with the behind-the-scenes numbers, there sure. are some people that love him as a prospect.
4: Yeah, yeah I, I think I think the Blazers, and I, I, I'm not 100% sure about this, but had him as high as seventh. On yeah, I've heard, they, they, I know
0: I know at least one or two other teams that had got him that high, too. I mean, they, they were not alone in that.
4: Yeah, so they really like him. It's just he's 19. And, like, how many 19 year olds have really contributed he's on good teams? I, I don't teams. think
0: he started since like his sophomore year of high school either. Yeah, yeah. He-, he
4: started as a senior in high school, but he didn't start for three years in high school. And then he didn't start at Gonzaga. So basically, right. since he turned 14, he started 30 games wow. at, th- at the <laughs> high school level. So it's, I mean, it's it's just what are you going to do? You know, the 19 year olds who we've seen really make an impact on decent teams justice winslow but he wasn't you know he was a contributor on a good heat team and uh miles turner was contributor on a sort of mediocre pacers team but i i just don't i don't see collins as a big impact guy um early on in this one so you know this is a year of patience and maybe they end up with a prospect they really like you know he maybe blossoms into something really special at, at at that spot maybe he could play next to nurk and be part of the future but i just don't think he's part of the present this year and i think I don't know if they'll, you know, you kind of look at draft picks five years down the line, but I think in the very short term they might have wished they had someone who could do a little bit more.
0: Yeah, no, I think that I think that's definitely true. And even even the Swannigan pick, if if one of those guys was a guard, at least you could say, hey, at least they can throw that guy out there and 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 try to get him some minutes. And and that that's not like you said, that's not the way you go into a draft. At the time they had Allen Crab, you know, a lot of things change, but. Um, yeah, it is just kind of fascinating to look at their team and, and kind of see the way it's balanced out and say, and, and, and kind of look ahead to where they're going. And that, that kind of brings me to the last thing I want to ask you, which is that, look, you know, two years ago, the, the Blazers got to the second round of the playoffs. They were, they were on the upswing, you know, they had this young dynamic backcourt and CJ and Dame last year, they really struggled. And then they rallied to make the playoffs and get the eight seed. Uh, and then, you know, obviously get swept by the Warriors, which isn't a, a shame since just about everybody did. Um, but what, what do you think happens this year? I mean, look, obviously, if Portland gets back in the playoffs and, you know, is a six or seven seed and, 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 you know, kind of starts to take another step forward, I think I don't think anyone will look down on that at all. But if this team does, you know, say, scrape in as an eight seed again or, or misses the playoffs entirely, um, do you, what do you think are the potential ramifications for, for that, for a team that I think it's fair to say is, is currently, I think, in a, in a bit of no man's land in the Western Conference?
4: Yeah, they're in a tricky spot because they're they're kind of capped out and and they're locked into a certain core group of guys. Um I th- I don't think that drastic drastic things happen if if they miss the playoffs this year. I think that they understood that this was going to be sort of a slower build and they got ahead of schedule and that kind of messed them up on, on in terms of moving on from the like post LaMarcus Aldridge era. And here we are 3 years later and and they like the Damon CJ pairing and if Nurk takes a step forward and looks like a part of this big three this season and it could stay on the floor and be healthy. I think they'll, they'll, they'll be pretty comfortable with where they are. I don't see a drastic teardown coming. I certainly don't see them splitting up the two guards. Um, at least not for a couple, couple seasons, they're going to, they're paid them a hundred million dollars to be part of the future. Um, but, but I do think that there could be some other, some other changes, uh, particularly just sort of the back half of the rotation clearing house. Um, if they were to miss the playoffs this year, uh, but but I think t- to your first point, they're de- they're not necessarily defining success by being a Western Conference Finals team. Although on Monday when they open uh, media day, I'm sure that's exactly what they'll say. They want to do is be in the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> of course, but, as does everybody, uh, but. right? I mean, that's just that's what they do. But I, I I think they you know if if they challenge for the five and six spot in the West and have a have a good showing in the playoffs, I think they'll think. You know the wheels are turning in the right direction, but if not, I think you could see them try to really, really get a lot cheaper, sort of in the back half of the rotation, where they've got money committed to Turner and Mo Harkless and and uh, and Myers Leonard.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised by any of that at all. So, uh, Mike, thanks thanks a lot for the time and I appreciate it. This is going to come out in a couple weeks, so from when we're talking, so uh, let the people know where they can follow you on Twitter and if uh, if there's anything you've got coming up on. Uh, uh, It's during the opening week at camp. you want to plug and have people go back and listen to it, feel free to uh, promote it.
4: Sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mike G. Rich. Uh, I, who knows what will happen at training camp? Hopefully someone <laughs> will say something crazy and I'll have a great story for you to find. And that great story will be on OregonLive.com slash Blazers. That's where all my stuff is and all my colleagues work. And, uh, you know, the, at least the early part of the season is going to be interesting for the Blazers. They're going to not trade for Carmelo Anthony and they're going to have a really similar looking team. So be sure to read about it.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely it's definitely going to be a fun <laughs> team to watch. And, and look, they, they like we said, I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. I I mean, they've got an interesting roster. They're, they've got some holes they have to fill, uh, with while well, clearing answers for it. So they're they're going to be a fun team to watch. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what you write about.
4: All right, appreciate it, Tim.
0: All right, Tony, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, a couple days before training camp gets going, uh, this will come out in a couple of weeks, but um, glad uh, glad you can make some time for me. And and look, I mean, the, the question hanging over the Jazz is obviously um, about you know, Gordon Hayward leaving a free agency. And, you know, what, what do you think, obviously making up for a guy who's an all-star wing player like that is not easy and is, is probably in a lot of ways impossible, but what, what do you think the Jazz are going to try to do to, to make up for the loss of him as they, they get into this new season?
5: Well, I think they're gonna, you know, defensively. I think they're gonna try to defend and 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 be even better than they were on that side of the floor uh, than last year. And uh, and I and I think they did make up for some for his loss, loss a little bit with uh, a lot of the depth they acquired. They're a deeper team that they were than they were last year. Um, you know, in terms of offensively, you know, it, it's the here's the narrative. The narrative is that the Jazz won't be able to score, and I think. You know, if you ask my opinion, I'd split the difference with that. I think that scoring won't be an issue with them. Mm -hmm. Their issue is scoring when they need it. Right. Last five minutes of the game, it turns into a possession isolation game. Then who is going to get them buckets? You know, first three quarters, they're going to be fine. Their motion offense will be fine. They'll get good looks and they'll score. But who is going to be the guy uh, that's going to be able to take them home and that can mean the difference between that can mean a difference uh, of five wins or five losses either way. And I think that that's going to be the narrative that they're going to have to answer.
0: Well, and that kind of that, that dovetails nicely into what I was going to ask you next, which is that, you know, I'm sure Joe Johnson is going to get some looks there. I mean, he's a guy that, that, that's been in those spots a lot of times in his career, but he's also getting up there in age at this point and has become more of a support player for them. But, you know, you, you look at the roster and if there's a guy that they, I think, would hope is to, going to develop into that kind of guy, it would be Rodney Hood, you know, another big rangy wing. He's shown a lot of promise. He's dealt with, some in, dealt with some injuries last year. But, you know, if there is a guy that you would think they would hope could step into that role, it would be him. Is that... Is that, I think, is that a realistic uh, expectation, you think, on, on my part, that that's the guy they're going to kind of look at to do so? And if so, you know, how capable do you think he is of, of trying to fill that kind of a role for them? Well, that
5: that's to me, that's the key to their season, uh, how Rodney responds to, you know, going from, from the number two perimeter – uh, guy to the number one perimeter guy, how he responds to you know having Dwayne Wade guard him, 34 year old Dwayne Wade, as opposed to having Jimmy Butler guard him, and that to me is is going to be uh, that's going to be a, a huge key uh, to, to to the to, to uh, Utah season and how it turns out, and you know the Jazz think uh, that he can make a leap, and they think that he can go from you know, 12, 13 points a game to 17, 18 points a game. Uh, They think that he can be an isolation scorer. They think that he can be uh, a dynamic pick and roll option. Uh, and, and, And those are all thoughts that could be true. But then again, they could not be true. And that's the the question that, that Rodney has to answer. And he has to stay durable. He wasn't durable last year. Uh, he really struggled after the the hyperextended knee uh, that he that he suffered against the uh, Orlando Magic. You know, so he's gonna have to prove that he's du- that he can be durable. He can has to I, I think you know hit those thirty that thirty five to forty percent uh, from three point range. Uh, and he's gonna have to you know shoot forty five percent for two point range. And I I think. You know, that, that's what he has to answer. And I think uh, he's going to get the ball early and often. Uh, he's going to get the ball in clutch situations. And the Jazz are going to put him in a position uh, to sink or swim uh, offensively. And it'll be interesting to see how he responds.
0: Yeah, no, I I totally think so. I think it's, uh, you know, and and, and along those lines, what do you think is going to happen with him in terms of getting a contract extension done? Do you think do you think they'll be able to come to a deal between now and uh, the extension deadline? Do you think it's more likely that it gets written out to restricted free agency?
5: I think it's going to be more unlikely that he hits restricted free agency. Uh, I think that the Jazz are going to want to uh, see exactly what they have in him. Um, and and you could look at that with some of the moves that they did. They set themselves up next summer uh, to have a lot of cap space. And here's the other thing uh, that works in the Jazz's favor uh, in this scenario is is Rodney Hood was the the twenty second twenty third pick of the draft, which means he has a low cap hold uh, once free agency begins. Right. And use that cap hold. The, the Jazz can use that cap hold and go after somebody else before uh, negotiating negotiating with Hood. And you know, so them letting Hood get to a free agency is something that I expect. Um, uh, and, and I think it's, it's no indication of what how the Jazz feel about him him one way or the other. Uh, if he goes and, and he scores twenty two points a game, averages five rebounds or four assists a game, and he gets a max offer, uh, the Jazz are gonna the Jazz are gonna match that offer. Uh, you know, I just think that it's financially advantage. Uh, financially advantageous to them uh, to 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 let her test uh, restricted free agency, uh, and for them to use it for for their cap space next summer.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that all makes sense, and it you know a lot of these times you know, especially in a league where. You know, it's, it's not like some of these centers that are hitting restrictive free agency where there aren't a lot of teams that need a big. I mean, everybody needs a wing. So it, it's not like Rodney, uh, it's not like Rodney, even if he doesn't have quite the season, the Jazz hope he will. It's not like he's not going to get uh, a decent offer as a restricted free agent. So I, I think, unlike some of these bigs that we've seen, whether it's Neuralist Noel or you know even Mason Plumlee finally signed, but it took him months and months to get a deal. I think you, you look up down the league at those guys that have struggled to get contracts. I don't think he's the one that's going
5: to have that kind of an issue. Right. Right. Exactly. And you know, and you look at Rodney's gifts. I mean, he's a six foot, he's a six foot eight shooting guard who has a high release point, uh, who has who gets terrific lift on his jump shot he's going to be able to get his shot off against a lot of the people in this league. You know, Rodney's question is, you know, he, he's had some confidence issues in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had some durability issues in the past and some in, inconsistency issues. But Rodney Hood, uh, at peak performance, is pretty darn good. And, uh, he, you know, it'll be interesting to see how much better he got over the summer And what he can do uh, in terms of uh, addressing some of the questions that people have about him. Yeah, no, I I, it'll be that
0: like you said. I mean, I really think in a lot of ways he is the key to their season because that they need to find a way to replace Gordon if he can if he can give them you know a good chunk of that that'll go a long way towards getting where they need to. But another guy that could help with that is Derek Favors, who you know a couple of years ago looked like he was on his way to being you know a top consistent top 30 player in the league. I think coming into last season, I ranked him something like 28 or 29, and he it looked like he was on the way up. And then he's really... You no, know, between his knee and his back, he's had a couple, you know, year and a half now where he's had to deal with a lot of injuries. And you know, he showed flashes of what he can be last year, but it was in limited minutes because he was still coming back from that stuff. And you know, I know this is—I know this is going to come out a little bit after camp starts. So, um, you know, we'll probably have a better idea then. But you know, as things stand right now, how, where do you think he's at health wise, and and what what are the Jazz expecting from him in terms of being able to to contribute for them on a on a you know a, a per minute basis this season? Well, he's
5: healthy and he's ready to go. Uh, he's lost some weight this summer. Um, you know, I think that he's worked on it. He's worked on his jump shot, um, a lot this summer as well. Uh, and, and the hope is that the, the the weight that he lost, uh, reduces some of the stress that some of the stress on his knee. And, you know, I, I could tell you, Derek, you know, he wants to have a season, uh, that, that, you know, proves to him, proves to the NBA that he's back and, you know that he's still the player that he was two years ago. I mean, the, the Derek Favors two years ago to me was one of the be- one of the better uh, two way power forwards in the league. You know, he was a sixteen point nine rebound per game guy uh, who could guard on the perimeter and and who could uh, who could protect the rim as well. So you know, he wants to prove that he can still be that guy. Uh, and and he's really young still. He's still only twenty six years old. Uh, even though it seems like he's been in the league forever you know so it, that'll also be interesting as well the one dynamic with the, that the jazz have uh that I think is interesting is that uh they have a ton of guys and I mean a ton of guys who are in contract years and you know it, it's it's I think it's atypical of of the typical nba team um, you know, to have seven, eight guys who are playing for contracts. And Derek is one of those guys who are playing for contracts. And, you know, if, if he's the Derek Favors of two years ago, I could see him getting, you know, 70, 80, 90 million dollars on the market. And if he's the Derek Favors of last year, uh, then his market value significantly uh, is significantly dropped. So, you know, I think that that's uh, another dynamic that the Jazz uh, have to deal with, you know, having so many guys uh, on contract years, uh, but I think Derek is ready to go. And I think the, the hope is that he's going to be healthy. Uh, and, and the hope for him is that he can uh, have a, a, a year good enough that, that he's uh, a significant figure on the market next summer.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly that's certainly something I think that would work out for both sides. Right. I mean, if he has that kind of year, they'll be happy to keep him because they need to. And if and if he does, he'll you know get the contract he's looking for. And and I think in a similar boat is, is Dante Exel, a guy who, you know, the Jazz drafted really high three, uh, three years ago and, and had a lot of high hopes for and, you know, has, has had a pretty up and down start to his career as a super young guy coming in the league then tore his ACL. Um, you know, as he gets into his fourth year, I mean, I, I, I'm not even going to ask about a contract extension because it doesn't really make sense for him to get one unless he takes such a discount that uh, it, it wouldn't really make sense for him to do so. So, what are you what are you expecting from him, and and how pivotal do you think this season is for him? You know, not even just with the Jazz, but in terms of trying to establish himself as a, a bona fide NBA player at this
5: point. Yeah, this season is definitely pivotal, pivotal for Dante. Um, you know, you look at his gifts. You know, six foot six. You know, one of the faster guys in the league from end to end, a really good defender, um, you know, has some real has some good offensive instincts. And, you know, he's a guy who's who struggled a lot last year um, just because I think he he hadn't had a chance to work on his game yet. You know, he he went through his rookie year and then the summer of uh, before his, his second year, he tears the ACL. So he's out all of his second year. He doesn't get a chance to work on his game last summer because he's still coming back from the ACL. So he's still working on, you know, just knee strengthening and balance and stuff like that. This is the first summer uh, of his pro career that he had an, an entire summer just to work on his game, just to work on his skill set. And the the returns from behind the scenes are are very positive. Uh, he had a really good summer league uh, to where I think that he was the best player in that Utah summer league. Um and, and I think uh and and he's he's responded positively in terms of working hard in terms of uh, working on a lot of his weaknesses. Now he's going to get an expanded role. He's going to be he comes into camp uh, as Ricky Rubio's main backup, uh, and in a lot of ways the third guard uh, off the bench. So you know he's gonna get a good chance to play. I would I wouldn't be su- I w- I would be surprised if he plays uh, less than twenty minutes per game this year. So he's gonna have uh, a significant opportunity to just show exactly what he can do. Uh, and and I think that he he has to. And you know he's gonna get a contract next summer. I mean he's gonna be in the NBA somewhere. Right. Um, but you know he's you know it's not like a Trey Burke thing where he's on his way out of the league. Um, you know, but he's got to prove uh, that. You know that he's not a bust uh, from from the 2014 draft, and I think you know that that's something that uh, I think that he wants, and I think that that's something that the Jazz want for him. Well, it's it's the
0: difference between getting a contract as a fringe guy in the league or or a starter, right? I mean that that's what I mean. He, like you said, he's young enough, and and he he's got enough physical gifts that somebody will almost certainly take a chance on him, uh no matter what he does this year, but. But yeah, you would think like if he plays well this year, then you're looking at a guy. Uh, you're looking at a guy that could really, um, that could really be, you know, a guy that's maybe a long-term starter or a, a potential long-term starter in Utah or somewhere else, as opposed to, um, you know, a guy that maybe bounces around and is, a, and is a bit player. That's a you know maybe a defensive guy off the bench that can do a little bit of stuff. Like you know, to, I think to your point, that's. That's kind of what the barometer is for this year is if he can, if he can start to show signs in that direction, especially given he is only 22 or 23 at this point still, um, you know, there's still plenty of time for him to develop into the kind of player that people think he co- thought he could when he got drafted in
5: the first place. Well, see, and that's the thing. I mean, people, people still don't realize how young he is. I mean, he just turned 22 this summer. So let's say he has a, a, a good year this year and he shows the jazz, Hey, I can be a starter in this league. You uh, know, even if they let Ricky Rubio, Play out the remainder of his contract. So he's a, he's a, 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 so Dante's a backup this year and a backup next year. And they let Rubio walk after next year. Dante still becomes a starter at 24 years old. And he's still a relative baby uh, at 24 years old and, he, and, and the first time starter in the NBA. You know, so he has a lot of time. And, you know, I think, and as I said, I think he has, you know, so many positive physical gifts uh that you know is it, tantalizing and you know i think you know he's got a his, his pick and roll reads have to get better uh, i think his shooting has to get better uh he's got to show a semblance of a mid-range game uh he has a he has to show a semblance of a floater game you know but he can get past people at this level he can get to the basket at this level uh and, and he can do a lot of things uh that that are positive on both ends of the floor so you know, it, to me, it's it's just about Dante just kind of putting it together. Uh, and if he can start to show signs of putting it together, then I think um, that the Jazz will ha- happily uh, bring him back into the fold. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're I
0: think you're 100 right. I mean, I, I think that's you know he's going to be one like like Hood in a very different way. Both fourth year guys, but you know, Exum is going to be a really uh, uh, a really interesting um, a really interesting situation. Um, you know, let's let's wrap up with. Um, let's wrap up with Donovan Mitchell, a guy I know really showed out in summer league. You're pretty excited about watching as was a lot of people, uh, you know, combo guard from Louisville. Um, what do you think his role is going to be right away? Um, in in Utah and and do you think he's got a chance to really have a big impact even as a rookie? Well, I think that the
5: jazz are going to put him in position to have an impact as a rookie. I think that he's going to be in the rotation from, from, from day one. Um, you know, I think. You know, the one question that I have with him uh, is how he he adjusts offensively uh, in terms of getting into the paint. You know, he's going to have to learn different shots in terms of finishing. He's going to have to develop the floater. Uh, you know, in Louisville, at Louisville, he was just so athletic. You know, that he could just get into the lane and finish, you know, through strength and athleticism. You know, but that's not going to necessarily be the case uh, at this level. But, you know, he's a bulldog defensively. Uh, he's better than I thought, uh, he, I, he's better than I thought coming out of college in a pick and roll. Uh, and he's able to create a shot and I think that's going to get him on the floor and get him the ball, uh, this year because he can create a shot and the jazz don't have uh, many people on this team outside of hood that can create a shot. And, uh, I, I think, you know, he's a good shooter, uh, in terms of spot up, uh, he has deep range, uh, and, and the one thing that, you know, you like about him, he's a real competitor, uh, and he's a guy that just doesn't give a crap on the floor. And I think the jazz need a shot of that, a shot of that as well. So, uh, when you add it all up, I think that, you know, he's another guy that's going to, uh, along with Dante Exum play a, a significant role off the bench. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can, uh, if he, if, if he can play a little bit of point guard as well. Um, but you know he's somebody that I think will be atypical of a, of the Utah Jazz rookie uh, in terms that he's going to be thrown into the deep water pretty early.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think so too. I mean, it's going to be an interesting uh it's an interesting situation and it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, you know, even though Hayward left, I mean, they they still got Rudy Gobert, they've got they got a lot of talent there and they're definitely going to be in the mix in the back half of the playoff picture in the Western Conference and um you know, they got some young guys to watch, so it just I
5: think it's going to be a lot of fun for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's you know, as as a journalist, you always want to have a, a team that's interesting to cover, and this jazz team, uh, to me is interesting to cover. I mean, from you know Donovan Mitchell to to Alec Burks to you know to Exum to Rubio to to obviously uh, Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingles, and you know even. You know, people like Epke Udo, who has a tremendous backstory. You know, those are those are you know, this is the type of team that you like to cover and you like to write about because, you know, a lot of interesting backstories and a lot of interesting uh, scenarios on and off the court. So I'm I'm anxious to get started and I'm excited to get going.
0: Yeah, it should be a lot of fun, man. So yeah, thanks for thanks for stopping by and doing this. Uh, let people know where they can follow you on Twitter and and this is going to come out in a couple weeks. So if you got something r- lined up for say the first week of training camp that you want to, you know, have people go back and check out, you know, when this comes out, you know, feel free to plug it here.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can uh, find me at TripJazz T R I B J A Z Z or you can find me at my secondary Twitter account T Jones SL Trip. Um, you know, I, you know, me and Kyle Goon uh, we'll be posting uh, daily and we'll be posting uh, stories, videos, podcasts, you know, the whole work. So uh, we're ready to get our training camp started and we're ready to get the season started. And, you know, I can't wait for this season to get started because it's been a it's been a heck of a summer for the NBA and I think it'll be a heck of a season as well.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So thanks a lot for doing this, man. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate you. Okay, thank you. In order to Chris Dempsey, Jerry Zagoda, Brett Dawson, Mike Richmond, and Tony Jones. Really appreciate those guys coming on and talking about their teams. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it, get a good sense of where, where these teams in the Northwest Division are as we go into the season in a little over you know a, little over a week now. Um, you can find my work in the pages of the Washington Post, as well as on our website, WashingtonPost.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Tim Bontemps. You can find me on Facebook, at Tim Bontemps NBA. Please find the podcast wherever you get it, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or uh, wherever else. Give us a five-star rating and review. Really helps the podcast, really helps us out, so appreciate if you can do that. Thank you to Glenn Yoder in Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Uh, Glenn and his band, really fun. Gone to the Stewman concert. A lot of people love the music on the pod. Appreciate them giving it to us, uh, letting us use it, so go purchase their music online and support them. Glenn, also a big Mavs fan, big NBA fan, so be sure to go check that stuff out. Um, thanks again, as I said before, to the five guys who came on today. I appreciate it. We're going to have a bunch more preview podcasts next week, three more going into the start of the regular season. Um, like I said, in about 10, 10, 12 days now. So we're getting down close here. Should be fun. Uh, but until then, thanks a lot for listening. Have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you all soon.